program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people can turn this around Proverbs 4 7 states wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom with all that getting get an understanding again welcome to the program this evening with your host brother Elliot and brother Richard the number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We are streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage, and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash Time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Also, we're streaming at bb2me.com forward slash time for an awakening. That's A B I B I T U M I forward slash time for an awakening. The live stream is there. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices, and that app is a free app. And that tune in search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had a Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Again, that's Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In the Facebook search engine, you can type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening media is there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times. And share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace and our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight the time for an awakening media it's 707 here in this uh 
Uh, I guess cloudy and sometimes rainy Sunday evening here in the city of Philadelphia. And uh, we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening tonight. Uh, another rare occasion, no special guests. So we'll transition in open form. We'll talk about any issues that's on your mind. You can call us up and you can reach the program by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started. After a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell 
the political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening at 712 in the city of Philadelphia. And before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. You know, uh, I had uh, the little challenge with the, uh, the the machine for a little bit, but I think we're we're back in we're back rolling uh, in form. So all is good um, in there. But you know what, Elliot? Um, you 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 had me um, you had, you messed me up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that, man. I'm, me and you are, right, but you just messed me up. What what happened? Because you, you know um, you start when you started talking about this critical race theory, right, um, and the effect that's that's going on, it had me um, spinning around here, you know, trying to um, understand some things, you know, and and and. And 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 in that, you know, a couple of things popped up. But I want, if if you don't mind, I just want to, because as I was thinking about it, and also, you know, again, this month is um, a month where um, there it's being acknowledged about the International Underground Railroad um, or the Underground Railroad, and 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 I like to bring up things that we should celebrate because that is a organizational marvel that um, that we as, you know, um, African-Americans, American-Africans, we built. You know what I mean? Here, here's a system that was so successful that, and this ties to critical race theory, you know, which is the reason why I'm all messed up. But let me, let me if I may, just in my opening race, because I think it's important, you know, we talk about organizing all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about history all the time. Can, I hope that people understand that this system, this of called the they called the Underground Railroad because they just could not, and I, I think I'm going to be colloquial, they just could not figure out how Negroes was liberating, liberating Negroes when they had all this around them to to prevent that from happening. You know what I mean? They had the overseers. I mean, we're taking people from the South and moving them to the North and, and coming through cities like Philadelphia and going into Canada. And it was invisible, but it was an organized effort and we put it together. And that's, that's what, it, uh, that's what I, um, I think that we should at least, you know, con- you know, continue to consider and marvel over maybe even duplicate in the sense of the kind of organizational 
activity. But how does that tie to critical race theory? And, and I'm throwing a bombshell at you, Elliot, because I didn't think about, I don't know if I, I, I mentioned it to you. But um, as I understand it, it's tied to law, right? Now, this thing they call underground, this social relationship, this organizational network that we created was so effective that they created a law in 1793 called the Fugitive Slave Law. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't create, they didn't just create that law because, you know, just to have a law. They created it because of the effectiveness and, and you know, um, for those, you know, being partial to Philadelphia and, and you, know, you know, you say, you know, being a part of the um, African American Museum as a docent and, and, and tour guide and dealing with the early history of Philadelphia. So in Pennsylvania, um, we were had that gradual abolition law in 1780. But in 1793, here they get a law, a law they put in place, um, you know, to stop, to, to warn the states that uh, the Southern plutocracy was losing their quote-unquote property. And, and I'll just use the other one. Even, and the, you know, even that law, and this, this goes to this critical, I don't know if you would agree, and, and maybe we can build on it, that even by 1850, they said, look, because the South always ran the national government. You know I mean, uh, up till recently, I mean, uh, recent history, the South has always been an instrumental part of the federal government. So they created another law in 1750, which even said they would hold the states responsible. Like in some states where um, freedom seekers would go, um, if they got to that state that they would, they couldn't, they didn't have, they couldn't let them or they wouldn't, the state, because their laws are saying that, you know, anybody there was free, they wouldn't um, let them out. And the African people who were there were there to protect them. Um, they made a federal law that they had to surrender um, these, um, these people, our ancestors, to them. So those are two laws that's in place. How does this relate to critical race theory? And I'm, 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 I'm going to shut up with this. Did you know, Elliot, that just in June that Pennsylvania um, um, legislator, the Republican legislator, um, put in effect a a law against teaching the critical race theory? No, I'm not surprised. But uh, no, I didn't know that they did that here. House Bill 1532. I just found out myself, right? House Bill 1532. And it passed? No, well, it's still, it must be still in committee. Okay. Um, and this is what the bill. Now, this is an article that says, "What the what would Pennsylvania bill change?" The bill proposed by Diamond and Glenn says twelve K to twelve schools must teach that every individual is equal under the law, and that no individual should ever be labeled superior or inferior simply due to their race, genetic makeup, nor um, be held responsible for actions taken by others with similar traits. It would prohibit teaching, funding, or disseminating a racist and sexist concept by the Commonwealth and its political subdivision, including public school districts and post-secondary schools. The following concepts 
that would be banned from K to 12 and college classrooms are an individual should receive favorable treatment due to the individual race or sex. Meritocracy or merit-based systems are either racist or sexist. And the United States of America or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania are fundamentally racist or sexist. So these are the things that they're not allowed to teach. And there's, there is little to no evidence that critical race theory in itself is being taught in the public school, K to 12 public schools, um, um, taught to K to 12 public school students um, through some ideal central to it, such as lingering consequences of slavery. Why, and and I think you raised with us, and and I guess would like to expand with us all the time, why would they be bringing this up now? And just like the Underground Railroad, because now the way to, I'm, I'm projecting um, maybe you or the time for awakening audience may be in agreement or disagreement about this. Because look at the the influence and the impact of reparations right now. And look what the basis of reparation is. So it seems to me anything that gets to the system of discrimination by race and placing because you notice, um, what was that a couple months ago? Um, was it a uh, black state senator said, uh, a United States senator said that uh, America is not a racist country? Mm-hmm. And then the vice, prince, vice president, uh, you know, also said America is not a ra- made racist country. It just seems ironic that even, because we were talking about Texas, I believe, put, was pushing in Florida. But even a state like Pennsylvania, they're pushing this critical race theory, or at least being in opposition to something that's not even being taught. What, I, I, I don't know what you think. What do you think about that, Elliot? The, the push that's going on around that, uh, especially why would they be put? I mean, I gave my suggestion. I don't know if you agree with it. They would be pushing that. But definitely, just like the success of the Underground Railroad, um, and us being able to organize clandestinely to make something happen um, as it relates to us specifically, I'm wondering, is that what this here push is about? Um, that's my opening up. And about, you know, just as a means to my, my thought and to this, which, why you messed me up, man. Because I'm running around here, I'm going, checking out some of these books and whatever. Like, what is what is this big push about this? Well, Richard, listen, um, I'm concerned about how we're viewing this conversation that's going on because um, for black folks, and especially somebody that's conscious or even semi-conscious that knows our experience here in this country, it's not a, and, and listen, I'm not being critical necessarily of, of uh, Derek Bell. He, he's an ancestor now. And he wrote some of the tenets in critical race theory, uh, if not all of them. Uh, they come from the, the book he wrote, The Faces at the Bottom of the Well. But um, I, I'm wondering about how we're looking at this. For black folks, it's not a critical race theory about what has our experience here in this country. It's a, a theory is an educated guess. So it's not a 
critical um of the European race because that's what we've been we've been oppressed under. It's not a critical race theory. <clears throat> it ought to be critical race facts for black <laughs> people. This stuff they're talking about is a theory for them that they're in denial of. It's not a theory. They they love that language. And I think Derek Bell in himself kind of softened it for white folks. And, and and that's a problem that we have as a people. And, you know, some of his points, and I want to read some of his five rules, because in some of those five rules, they're dealing with our behavior. It tells us something about ourselves. Um, uh, Jerome Fox in his book uh, and the title just flew out of my head just that quick Richard um, addicted, to white. addicted to white and how we've all been affected by this one way or the other it's just that some of our people are conscious of it and they're trying to shake these effects off but we've all been affected by this whether we admit it or not so that, that's the debate that's going on. There should be no debate among black people about critical race facts. It's a debate among white folks about critical race theory and what they're going to allow to be teached in public schools. And see, that's what I'm talking about, about our people. If you look, Richard, all around the country, they're having these debates. And some of it gets nasty among white folks. Where they, they don't, I don't want this stuff to be taught in schools. And they're determining what's going to be taught in your school. And I'm talking about in public, public schools where black children are. They're debating and, and arguing about what's going to be taught to your children. Mm. Yeah. That, that, that's what it basically is. They, they're in control of what's being taught to their children. You see this this mess all the time. It's been taught since they've been here about, the you know, they've started this. They the first that did this. They created philosophy. They created laws. They created civilization. That's not going to change. That's not changing. But uh, infusing anything dealing with you, your oppression, what, uh, what those people are guilty of doing, that's what they're fussing about and arguing about. They don't want those things discussed in any form. And if it's discussed, they want to control the narrative. True, true that. True that. They want to, in, in anything, in any of these things that's been going on, Richard, white folks want to jump out in front, even uh, uh, some of these movements that have went on. When Michael Brown got killed and, and some of these cities went in, in, in a rebellion, they wanted to jump out in front, create these organizations, Black Lives Matter, Movement for Black Lives and whatever, and, fun, and funnel money into it, millions of do- tens of millions of dollars, because they want to control the narrative. If they, if they see young blacks getting upset, they want to be able to channel where that anger is going. They can gauge it. They, they, can, they, they can determine it. It's all about control. That's what it's always been about since we've been here, learning to control black people in one way or the other. And it's interesting, and as we uh, hopefully build on this discussion, we talk about control, because in 1682, which is the foundation, 
again, a law, and this is before you, this thing called America's um, actually put in place. And you talk about control, because at that point, they decided in order to control um, the black body, they called property, they put in law in place, you know, which obviously extended even into the making of this country that any child born by a black woman, regardless whether it was um, by a black father or a uh, raped uh, woman by a black, a white, white man, that that child would be still under the control of the plantation owner. And they put that in law in place. Just imagine what, when we're conscious of this and we start to operate, that these are things in place that, that when they, you know, when they do legal precedence, they have to go back to. Or if we look at it, as you, I think it's just some, we really we need to do what uh, to be better organized amongst ourselves because this ain't something that just happened or some people are saying. This is coded in the laws of the governance of this country. I just wanted to throw um, that's one beginning, and we can go on and on uh, around that. And listen, I, we just on some topics out there. We're in open forum. Uh, the listening audience can call and bring up some things that they want to discuss. You're free to do that by dialing two one five four nine zero nine eight three two. Richard, um, the five rules of standing, which comes from uh, Derek Bell's book. I, I want to kind of mix them in in the conversation. I, I'll, I'll throw that in a little bit later on, but. You was talking about laws and how our people need to look at this because there's no debate. You know, these leaders and these quote-unquote black leaders, um, you, you mentioned about um, folks when, when these debates was coming up. And, 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 it's, and it's always, <laughs> it's kind of funny, Richard, when this president was running, all during that, uh, um, what do they call it when they go all around the uh, poor? The campaigning, yeah. All during that campaign, you had this the guy that's in now, along with all the others that was running with him, and some whites mentioning about reparations. That was the talk. That was on everybody's lips. Yep. Uh, where's that conversation now? Who Who's talking about it? And I'm not talking about black folks that have been struggling and dealing with this in organizations. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the quote unquote white allies that blacks think they have. Who's talking about it? Where's the conversation? They used you for their votes. Some black folks ran and pulled levers for them. And they used those reparations topics, booty gig, booty jigs and, and others. Use the oh, blacks need reparations. Reparation. They was talking. You remember they was talking about it. Oh, yeah. Who? Where's the conversation? Where's it at? Some of these people, uh, uh, it's cabinet members in this guy's cabinet. I don't hear it talked about, but they use you to get where they are. Malcolm said over fifty years ago that black folks dealing in this 
type of politics that we see is nothing but a political football. Now, it's kind of funny that Malcolm used that term, political football, because at that time when Malcolm said that, Richard, and you don't follow sports like that, but you didn't have any black quarterbacks in football at that time. So when he used that analogy, all you had was white quarterbacks throwing a brown football back and forth. Mm-hmm. So he used a excellent analogy when he said that we was just a political football, that the Negroes was just a political football being tossed back and forth by uh, uh, liberals and conservatives. And they used that reparations issue to get in office and now you don't hear none of them saying nothing about it. The quote-unquote white allies that some of these black folks keep saying that you need, that we need. All we need is a, a, a segment of our people that unify. I ain't talking about all black people because all black people are not going to unify. Newsflash for people that believe that. I'm fully convinced and don't believe that all black folks are not going to unify. But you can have a critical mass, whether it's 10 percent, 15 percent, whatever. A critical mass can move people. And the ones that want to stay on a plantation, stay in their mentality, chase assimilation, because it ain't no integration. That's a fantasy. Chase assimilation. Have at it. Go at it. But let me, let me, because you mentioned something, and I just want to, because I, I still got the two. I think I had all three of them because I played them before when they mentioned them. But I think I got their comments uh, in reference to what you said. Because the, these are black leaders that's saying this. So if your leadership is saying this and you don't agree with it, there's a disconnect somewhere. But let me, let me play. Now, this is the Republican leader that was black and what he said, Richard. And it's, uh, this is what you're talking about. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. Now that's uh, Tim Scott. He made it clear. You hear him. He, listen, Richard, he didn't, he told you, you better hear him clearly. It's not. Now Kamala Harris. All right. He's from South Carolina, right? Ooh, Scott. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kamala Harris doubled down on it. When she was asked on uh, one of those shows about his comments, and I had hers, but I can't find it. But people can pull it up. People can pull it up on uh, and see her comments. She agreed with Scott that America is not a racist country. Now let's go to uh, this president and see what he said in reference to America. I don't think America's racist, but I think the the overhang from all of the Jim Crow and before that slavery have have had a cost, and we have to deal with it. Now, Richard, I don't. Uh, maybe you can help me with that political double talk <laughs> and gobbledygook. I did, I did. I don't think America's racist, but the overhang from Jim Crow and and other policies, we have to deal with it. What what is that? America, I mean, wait a minute. America is not racist. The land mass is not racist. It's just land. So that's a true fact. I mean, well, what the hell? Am I stupid or something? What, what is this? But the code, right? The, what is 
I mean, this is where critical, not critical race theory, but critical thinking has to come in play, right? What is the overhang? What could be something in place that still from, uh, still can be in place that would make America be racist without being racist? And that's why I'm arguing it's the law. And I hear you're saying it's because the laws create control. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, in 1705, and you know, here and in other uh, of these um, counties, and I'm going to counties because, you know, they had to put in laws in place in order to lock African people up because these Negroes was going upside, oops, upside their head. So they needed a mechanism, especially in the North, to deal with control. Laws. So you start analyzing laws and say, well, like, look, you've been, you've been locking me up based off of laws then, and you locking me up, calling the prison industrial complex now. Isn't that based off of my race? Well, Richard, that's only a theory. <laughs> that's a theory, I like, Richard. I like that. I like that. That's I a like theory. That. That's not fact. That's a theory. No, that's that's fact. And let, let me dovetail on some of the things that you just mentioned, because the cases that you mentioned and some of the dates was pre-Civil War. Mm-hmm. Let's bring it up to that period. Now, and we talked about a little bit of this. We touched on it when we when we were talking about Juneteenth. Now, after the Civil War was won, because our ancestors got involved and helped the North defeat the South, was the key factor in the d- defeat of the South. Uh, now, the Emancipation Proclamation, which didn't free anybody, was wrote in 1863, if I'm not mistaken. Now, some of the states ratified uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, and a lot of states in in April, uh, May of 1865. Now, Texas was the last Confederate territory reached by the Union Army, and they did that in June to break the myth that our people didn't get the word that they was free until two years later. No, no, no. They were still under Confederate control until Union soldiers, black soldiers also, uh, uh, got into Texas. Now, after that, and that was June 19th of 1865. Now, the 13th Amendment, Richard, because those three amendments, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, had everything to do with you being becoming, quote-unquote, functioning members in society. And those wasn't passed. It's nine states that passed that after Texas. 
Oregon passed it in December of 1865. California, Oregon passed it December 8th of 1865. California passed it in December 19th of 1865. Florida in December 28th of 1865. Iowa in January 15th of 1866. New Jersey, January 23rd of 1866. Texas didn't ratify it until February 18th of 1870, Richard. Delaware didn't do it. Delaware is in the north, Richard. Delaware didn't do it till February 12th of 1901. Kentucky didn't ratify it until March 18th of 1976. Not 1876, Richard. 1976. Mississippi didn't do it until March 16th of 1995. 95, Richard. Now let's look at let's look at some of that, because. I think it goes to what you were talking about as far as laws. And Derek Bell was a law professor. The um, 13th Amendment. Let's look at that 13th Amendment. Because I, I, I did want to look at all three of them. Let's, let's start with the 13th Amendment. And I'll just read it in summary. It was passed by Congress on January 31st, 1865 and ratified in December of 1865, and it said neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except for punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So what they were, what they were saying in a nutshell that slavery was over. But they left loopholes in it for their folks. And it's clear that it was. Because after the chattel enslavement, you had a system of Jim Crow, uh, sharecropping, well, not Jim Crow, sharecropping and peonage that continued slavery long into the, the 20th century. Now, Richard, let me, let me, um, I didn't lose you, did I? No. Yeah, let me, let me, because I wanted to go into a little bit of that in reference to peonage. We already know about chattel enslavement of our ancestors and everybody with chains on their wrists and, and ankles and everything else. But look at this peonage for a second. The Peonage Abolition Act of 1867 was passed by the United States Congress on March 2nd of 1867 that abolished peonage in New Mexico territory and everywhere else in the United States. Designed to help the 13th Amendment, the act declared that holding any person to service or labor under the peonage system is unlawful and forever prohibited. It defines peonage as the voluntary or involuntary service of labor 
of any person in liquidation of any debt or obligation. However, after Reconstruction, many Southern black men were swept into peonage through different methods, and the system was not completely eradicated until the 1940s. Workers became indebted to planters through sharecropping loans, merchants through credits, or company stores through living expenses. Workers were often unable to repay the debt and found themselves in a continued work-without-pay cycle. But most of the corrupt and abusive peonage occurred in concert with southern states and governments. In the South, many black men were picked up for minor crimes or trumped-up charges when faced with staggering fines or court fees, forced to work for local employers who would pay their fines for them. The southern states also uh, leased their convicts en masse to local industrialists. The paperwork and debt records of individual prisoners were often lost, and these men found themselves trapped in inescapable situations. One of the largest users of forced labor, now this is the early 1900s now, one of the largest users of forced labor was was Pittsburgh-based U.S. Steel. At the beginning of the 20th century, U.S. Steel signed a lease with the state of Alabama to acquire thousands of black men, almost all arrested on absurd, trumped-up charges who were put to work. Many laborers who died during their periods of servitude either were buried in unmarked graves or just discarded. The loophole in the 13th Amendment still allows for prison labor and is still exploited. Still allows, Richard. So the peonage system has been is gone, but they still have another system. This this is government now. Government doing this, not segregationists, not southern uh, 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 lawmakers. The government allowed this because the government put in place that black people was just like regular citizens, just like whites. It's supposed to have been equal as treatment and everything else in society. But the government allowed this. Now, after the peonage system was exposed and they had a black eye as far as the world was concerned, then they changed things because of that loophole that their founding fathers put in that amendment. Now, check this out, Richard, because it brings it up to the present day. And this is from a published report. Uh, Twelve uh, corporations benefiting from prison, the industrial complex. The prison labor in the United States is referred to as insourcing under the Work Opportunities Tax Credit Employers receive a tax credit of $2,400 for every work release inmate they employ as a reward for hiring risky target groups. So this is legal, and it's a law. The workers are not only cheap labor, but they are considered easier to control. They also tend to be African-American males. Companies are free to avoid providing benefits like health insurance or sick days. They also don't need to worry about the union demands or vacation time 
or raises or family issues. According to the Business Observer, and I'm still reading from the published report, the federal prison industry produces 100% of all military helmets, war supplies, and other equipment. The workers supply 98% of the entire market for equipment assembly services, 93% of paints and paintbrushes, 92% of stove assemblies, 46% of body armor, 36% of home appliances, 30% of headphones, microphones, speakers, 21% of office furniture, airplane parts, medical supplies, and much more. Prisoners are even raising CNI dogs for blind people. Sorry about that. With all that productivity, the inmates make on average of ninety to four dollars a day. Here are some of the biggest corporations to use this practice, but there are hundreds more. McDonald's uses inmates to produce frozen foods. Inmates process beef for patties. They also process bread, milk, and chicken products. Wendy's also has been identified as relying on prison labor to reduce its costs and operations. Inmates also process beef for patties. Walmart, the corporation uses inmates for manufacturing purposes. The company hires inmates to clean products uh, for UPC barcodes so that products can be resold. Starbucks, the company uses inmates to cut costs as well. Starbucks subcontractors' signature packaging solutions hired Washington State prisoners uh, to package holiday coffees. Sprint, inmates provide telecommunication services. Inmates are used in call centers. Verizon, inmates provide telecommunication services used in call centers. Victoria's Secret, the company uses inmates to cut production costs. In South Carolina, female inmates are used to sew products. Also, inmates reportedly has been used to replace made-in tags and made-in-USA tags. JCPenney and Kmart both sell jeans made by inmates in Tennessee prisons. American Airlines and Avis car rentals use inmates to take reservations. So, just like U.S. Steel abused our ancestors in the early part of the 20th century when they found loopholes which was put in by the government to get around that 13th Amendment. They're still using it now. Our people still packing these prisons and still making products for them and getting paid no wages at all, four cents, nine cents a day, 90 cents, four dollars a day, up to four dollars a day. They even had inmates fighting fires out there in California. Now, I didn't know that they were professional firefighters. If they were, they would. I don't think they'd be in jail. But they're out there fighting fires. These are legal loopholes, Richard, put in by the government. It's not like somebody in a room grinding their hands and, and, and laughing. <laughs> I'm going to get over. No, these are legal loopholes put in by the government to abuse black people even though these things were part of their sacred documents, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment of their Constitution. They don't care. They was looking for ways to still abuse black folks 
and still doing it now. So, no, that's not a theory. That's a fact. You know, and and keeping in context of why this, uh, as you say, they're calling a theory into question. Now, I guess I'm going to be redundant, is because of the effectiveness and, more importantly, the dissatisfaction of a generation in relationship to looking at the benefit that they're getting from this government. And that is to be feared. And the moral question of, well, and I don't, you know, I don't believe, Elliot, that at right now, there's a large portion of, I'm going to say, young people. Because I'm, I'm still questioning about um, us older people, right? I'm, I'm still questioning about that. But the young people, I don't think they have the delusion that things is going to change by and by. And they're looking for arguments. And as you say, the critical race facts gives them justifiable arguments if we look at the law and how it's implemented. And what you're showing is how law over time is still being implemented using black folks against their own interests. If we just look at the criminal justice system, but we don't have to look at that. Look at the laws, policies that were put in place that destabilize black communities. I don't think I have to cite, you know, everybody can talk about when a highway came through a black community. I don't know if I'm wrong. Uh, help me. Aren't policies laws? <laughs> what do you say? To destabilize black communities, huh? Right. I mean, in mo- I, I would say, I mean, it happened in Philadelphia. Um, the Seventh Ward um, concentrated black folks. What did they come up with? A highway. I think any of the time for waking audience that's um, listening to us now can come up in their in their respected area, a highway that came through that destabilized a black community. And I'm it, just saying. But the money for those infrastructures, Richard, comes from mm-hmm. the government. Right. So the government. And I don't want to say complicit because I mean they're involved. They're, it, it's a part of it's a part of them. Just like the hand on my body. So, you know, the the, the game this three card Molly that they've been playing with some of our people. A lot of our people realize what's going on, but they're powerless to do anything about it because we haven't organized properly. And and it's reasons for that too clear reasons for that because this man realizes that organization is key so he makes sure he tries to muddy the water get involved in anything you try to do or set plants and and, and uh, or, or informants uncle tom's whatever you terms you want to use this is not generic that we can't seem to come together on certain issues and, and you know Elliot, and this is the reason why i 
I um, celebrate and, and wanted, um, want us to consider, consider to celebrate the organization that they call the Underground Railroad. And, and, and I think it's important, and I'm, I'm going to just, because I, to be clear what organizing is, because as we're showing in the critical race facts where are based in law, uh, we have a, justi- a justification. And in having a goal, which you showed, uh, you know, that, um, that even at the national presidential level, level, even if they were using it, they knew it was an effective goal and that being reparation. The element in this moment would be how well you're organized to achieve your goal, right? Just like looking in our own history, how well we were organized to achieve a goal, which was to take those who were in chattel captivity and bring them clandestinely through all that space to freedom. That wasn't no, that, I don't, I mean, I don't think that that's no um, easy task. I don't know if you would agree with that. I, I, you know, you got trained patrolmen with dogs who were trained to sniff out people. And I'm bring, just bringing that up, hopefully to try to, in a, in a, uh, 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 maybe a not coherent manner and maybe the um, time for awakening audience and, you know, through other topics they bring up, you know, in this here freestyle Friday, I mean, free, you know, open forum. Um, can, Cause I think every, every road talk goes back to us being organized. I don't care what the issue come up. We have to become more organized and we have to look at our history, what we've done when we were effective and as you're raising with this critical race fact, the reason why we must do it. And if it's in the law, that goes from generation to generation. That, don't, that ain't something just from, well, these people right here don't like me. And once they die out, the next group takes and have to implement the law. And hear what they're coming up with. We don't even want you to know to talk about it. So we're going to take it out of the school books now. Richard, um, you know, let me say something in reference to what you mentioned about the the railroad. You know, before we continue dealing with the the topic that that you brought up, you know, some of our people buy into the narrative, and you know, I'm not saying it is bad or good because they're still giving our ancestors credit. But some of our people buy into the narrative that Harriet Tubman basically created the Underground Railroad, and that's not true at all. She became a part of it. She knew it existed. She knew it existed when she escaped that plantation in the beginning. Mm-hmm. One of the men that that you spoke of last week with Dr. David Muhammad when he was on the program, David Walker, he used the Underground Railroad. When things fell apart down there in, in Charleston, when Denmark Vesey was was hung, murdered, along with a lot of the colleagues that was with him, when things fell apart, he 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 was out of there. He made it to Boston through the Underground Railroad. But where did he go before he went to Boston? Didn't he come to Philadelphia, Richard? No, uh, or New uh, York, or he went straight to Boston. Boston, right? 
Well, he got that. That was the Underground Railroad. Right. And that was in what, 18? When did he arrive in Boston? Um, so he wrote in the 1820s. But you don't remember the specific date? No, I, I don't remember. I know he died in 1829, I think. Yeah. But and Harry Tubman at that time, what, Harry Tubman was born in chronological age, they said was born in 1822. Mm-hmm. So she was, wasn't even, she was a baby. Mm-hmm. The Underground Railroad was already in movement. And just like I said before about them always wanting to, to change the narrative, if you look at some of these shows now, they show so many whites, you think the whites organized the Underground Railroad. That's, a, that's an important point. And that's why it's like important that we get control of the narrative because they make it seem, even in the textbooks or even in the studies, like if it wasn't, you would get the impression that not until whites um, and Africans were working together did this network was going on. This that's network, bull. That's, that's bull crap. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I'm just, you know, that's the, I mean, that, you know, like th- this was going, this is something unique to black folk. And white folks uh, became supporters. And they had a different, you know, they had a different reason why, but they became, but the this organizational, and again, I want to emphasize, you know, and so that we can um, not make it like this is some, um, a group of individuals just coming together because they created institutions, they created businesses, and those things were the, the elements that assisted in this organized network to be successful to where they had to put these laws in place. Before we take a break, Richard, and, and uh, kind of move on, let me, uh, because you, you mentioned in laws again and how some of these laws were set up to basically uh, assist our people to fail. Mm-hmm. Now, I already went over some things dealing with the 13th Amendment and the banana peel that was written into that Pacific Amendment to the Constitution. Now, l- let's look at this one here. Because we still reeling from this today. Uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1866 banned discrimination in the sale, transfer, and lease and use of property, including real estate and housing. All citizens were granted the same right enjoyed by white citizens in the use of purchase, lease, transfer, etc., of real estate and property. And that was the Civil Rights Act of 1866 during the Reconstruction period. So it wasn't about gays, lesbians, uh, uh, Orientals, Indians. And when I say Indians, I'm talking about Indians from India or a bunch of other people. It was about black folks and what was written in the law in reference to their experience dealing here in this country. Right, Richard? Now, yeah, let yeah. me let me go into now that was in 1866 which was supposed to be sealed signed sealed delivered that's it here here we go the fair housing act lyndon johnson signed the fair housing act known as title 
nine to eight, excuse me, of the Civil Rights Act of 1968. On April 11th, 1968, although the Civil Rights Act of 1866 had arguably required fair housing practices, it contained no provision for federal enforcement. The new Fair Housing Act was a far-reaching law that prevented discrimination on race and uh, national origin. Practices covered by the act included housing advertisements, terms of rental and sale, denial of housing, interfering with a person's enjoyment of housing, uh, and retaliating against individuals exercising their fair housing rights. Now, wait a minute, Richard. It's stated here that Johnson signed it, who was a Dixiecrat, uh, signed this Fair Housing Act on April 11th of 1868. It says, although the Civil Rights Act of 1866 had arguably required fair housing practices, it contained no provision for federal enforcement. Uh, huh? Mm. So that, see, that in itself shows you that uh, critical race theory, a critical race fact, these people, was it, this was a racist government full of racist European individuals. They put that law in there, but then they did another loophole, just like I read in that 13th Amendment, with a loophole where they could still practice what they were doing. Here was another loophole. These people ain't stupid. When, they, when it was coming to provisions they wrote in there for you, they pretended like they were stupid and searched for loopholes that was already in the law. They didn't have to do much searching. Now, now, check this out. Now, this this was the law that he wrote in in 1860, 1968 that was supposed to already been written 100 years before. Now, this comes from a published report. The term redlining was coined by sociologist John McKnight in the 1960s, and it derived from how the federal government and lenders, and in association with lenders, would draw a line on a map around neighborhoods that they would not invest based on demographics alone. Black inner-city neighborhoods were redlined. In the 1930s, the, the, the federal... I'm sorry. Hold on a second. I lost my place. Uh, in the 1930s, the federal government began redlining real estate marking risky neighborhoods for federal mortgage loans on the basis of race. The result of this redlining in real estate could still be felt felt decades later. In 1996, homes were redlined in neighborhoods uh, were worth less than half of that in homes that the government deemed uh, best for mortgage lending. And the disparity has grown greater in the last 20 years. You can see here, this article was written in 2016. Things is no different now. <clears throat> but it said that this practice still is in place. So, it, but this is not a, like I said before, some guys in the back room wringing their hands, talking about, who are we going to do this? We're going to be slick. This was a federal government issued plan. But the federal government was the one that wrote the law saying that blacks uh, were supposed to be equal to whites and buying property. They're the ones that did this. So who's 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 playing three card Molly? Who's the fool? Is this a theory? Mm. 
Am I, am I reading something that's a theory or are these facts? Listen, Derek Bell softened it up when he was talking about some critical race theory. These are not theories. These are facts. We need to spend time teaching our children what they're up against with these people so we can stop banging our head against a brick wall, some of our people, and let these people that want us to act like they want to assimilate, to get trinkets to help you, to help keep you bamboozled, let them do what they do. Because if they're not effective helping keep you bamboozled, they'll be right back on the plantation with you. You know, uh, Ali, when you and, and I, when you um, brought up about the 13th and then now showing about the 14th Amendment and and Derek Bell, there's another um, esteemed lawyer, um, lawyer scholar, uh, A. Leon Hickenbottom, and it's hopefully is reinforced. This reinforces your point um, in a uh, chapter of unequal justice in the state criminal justice system. He says, racism in the court is reflective of of significant symptoms, signals, and symbols of racism in the broader society. Many state court cases exemplify the unfair treatment of African-American citizens by courts, both northern and southern, despite the abolition of slavery and the enactment of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, these cases are an endorsement of the slavery jurisprudence embodied in the precept of inferiority. Post-Civil War history, both meaning after, lends itself to the question whether in general the courts have been protectors of or implementers to African-Americans exercise a right to equal justice. And he did this in 1996, um, Shades of Freedom. I don't know, talking about at the federal level, with the constitutional amendments, you talk about um, the business community in relationship to utilizing, taking a loophole and utilizing labor. And we're looking at even within the court system itself, the laws that are used that are against uh, American, African, African Americans specifically, no matter what's the state. I guess you, you know, I didn't think about it, Elliot. I guess you, I guess you're right. It ain't about a theory, it's critical race fact in 2021. And the one thing that we have to understand and in going into break. You know, when we talk about these things, we're almost beating a dead horse because we know what our people have suffered and what our people are up against with these people. It's nothing new. The thing that we got to get in our minds that we have to prepare our children to move forward, arm them with all the ammunition that they need because this man is thinking all the time. See, all this stuff going on, Richard, you know, I can be critical of some of this crazy music that's being pushed. You know, you hear it, you walk down the street and you can hear some of our children singing, singing, uh, 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 using derogatory messages about their own brothers and sisters, all in these lyrics. This stuff is not geared to you. It's not Richard. You got better sense than to fall for those tricks. It's geared for our young people to keep their minds befuddled. 
so they can be easily controlled. A lot of this crazy music, these crazy lifestyles that they're pushing. I won't accept these, these lifestyles. It's not good for me to try to accept them. It's good for our children to accept them. They figure you won't be around 20 years from now, but they will. We got to prepare our children for this battle that we're facing. It's a struggle. It's a battle. And we got to arm them with sufficient ammunition. To worry about what these people are doing. Sure, it's, it's, a, it's a point of understanding to just reinforce what they have done. Because even in 2021, some of our people don't realize some of these things that you pointed out tonight, Richard. They might not even realize it. But I think it's important that we arm our children. We got to teach them. That's a must. Let's take a brief break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We've got some folks on the line. We'll go to them. And uh, you can join the conversation also by down 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Your roof becomes unruly, called Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com. 
abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. abibitumi.store is here for you. A B I B I T U M I Black Power A B I B I T U M I The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family to join your interconnected commit to you black communities escape the digital plantation now abibitumi.com abibitumi.tv abibitumitv.com abibitumi.store we are here for you escape the digital plantation i am an african the death of my brother is also my death let me put this question to you again because many foolish black middle classes and many foolish people who are eating well think that they can sit in America and watch this country destroy the African continents and watch this country destroy African Caribbeans and watch this country destroy Africans in Central and South America and think that these same people who destroy Africans abroad will not be the same people who will destroy them in America. There are fools in this, this country who try to claim that they are not Africans, who claim that they do not see color, as if they're not seeing color makes any difference in the world. Simply because you don't see color doesn't mean somebody does not see you as color, and that's the issue. And you think then that you can sit in this country while this same nation and these same people that you sleep with and marry and love and so forth can go out and destroy African people and not think those people do not see you as African. Even though you choose not to see yourself as African, you better think again. You're out of your minds and you're headed for death. You must understand that. Hide behind it. I am an American. Ladies and gentlemen, the death and destruction of black people will follow those kind of abstractions. Probably the next five or ten years will indicate whether or not the black man can survive. Our struggle for survival is a very real struggle. And the white man has prepared genocide for black people. Unemployment, the black man is no longer necessary. Unemployment is going to be a way of life for black people. We are going to face increasing dangers and problems as the days pass. And we're totally unequipped as black people to deal with them. We're a part of a slave culture. We have no preparation. We have no black institutions capable of dealing with white racist institutions designed to serve only white people. We must deal with the problem that confronts black people by building black institutions, by understanding that only a separate disposition is a viable position for black people. 
any organization or any leader in America who today advocates integration is a foe and an enemy of black people and their survival in the coming years. In this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issues, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. listening to Time for an Awakening, Time for an Awakening, with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8 <coughs> 822 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Uh, you can join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, Richard? Yes, yes. I'm trying to, uh, uh, before I go to the phones, I just wanted to, um, the conversation that we had on Friday when I asked you that question, in reference to uh, our ancestors' relationship, and I'm talking about our ancient ancestors. They they recognized the Almighty. Uh, they were one. They practiced being one with the environment uh, and with nature. And I asked you, did you agree with that? You remember? Yep. And I asked about what's going on now in relation to what we see happening. And I'm talking about these storms, uh, high veracity. Uh, that that Hurricane Ida that hit New Orleans, uh, it wasn't a tropical storm when it hit up here. It was just rain from the hurricane that devastated this area and other areas in the north. And asked what was going on in your opinion. Because I clearly believe 
that the Almighty is rejecting these wicked societies. And he's trying to give us a sign, our people. He's trying to give us a sign. We need to be doing something other than some of our people chasing after these people's coattails. We need to be doing something as a people. Now, I'm saying that, and I'm going to just play this clip and go to the phones. Um, On Face Nation, one of these shows I was watching this morning, they had the FEMA director on there about uh, the response to what happened, these storms. And a question was asked to them about what is going on. Listen to the question that was asked, Richard, and listen to the answer given by this disaster director. And then I'll, I'll just uh, I'll transfer and just go to the phones. You know, when a massive hurricane, you say a Category 4, hits the coast, we expect there to be severe damage. I think the surprise is that days later and more than a 1,000 miles away that Ida did such devastation in in the Northeast, including New York City. And here is that city's mayor, uh, Bill de Blasio, talking about that. Take a look. I think we now understand that every attempt at projection, bluntly, is failing us. Let's be clear. We're getting from the very best experts projections that then are made a mockery of in a matter of minutes. Question. Why is that? Why are the projections so off? You know, we are definitely beginning to see the impacts of climate change. This storm in particular, it intensified so rapidly in the Atlantic or in the Gulf that uh, emergency managers, emergency responders had even a shorter time to warn the public and help get them out of harm's way. And we're also seeing, as this storm and some of the other um, weather events that we've seen, they're just intensifying very rapidly and dropping a large amount of rain and tornadoes. This is the, the crisis of our generation, these impacts that we're seeing from climate change. And we have to act now to try to protect against the future risks that we're going to face. Uh, I want to put up, you talk about that, and it isn't just this week and Ida and the areas it hit. I want to put up a list of the extreme weather events we have had across the country this year, exceeding $1 billion in damages, each of them, flooding, extreme cold, tornadoes, severe storms, wildfires, and, yes, hurricanes. Administrator, is this a normal run of disasters that this country faces in a year? I think this is going to be our new normal. Uh, We saw intense uh, weather events in 2017. Last year was a record number of hurricanes and a record wildfire season. Um, The U.N. had just put out their climate report, and they said that this is the the climate crisis that we're facing, and it's only going to continue to get worse. Let me ask you a question a lot of people ask. How can climate change do all of these things, be responsible for extreme heat and drought, but also record cold, flooding, uh, as I say, and and wildfires? How could it be responsible for all of those sometimes what would seem to be directly contradictory weather effects. You know, I don't know how climate impacts it specifically. What I do know is that we are seeing 
more frequent storms, more intense storms that are intensifying more rapidly. We have to start planning for what the future might hold and do modeling that's going to help us predict what these future risks are going to be. Bridget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now be- before I go to the phones, that last question that was asked, he said, how can this be climate change when you're having record cold, record heat, uh, you know, all of these disasters? He said some of them in direct contradictory to one another. How can this be climate change? You heard her response. I don't know. I, we just got to be prepared because it's global warming. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. They don't know. Yeah. Okay. You know. Answer the first one. Say that again. She didn't answer the first question, and she gave the response to the to the because he was asking how, and she said she don't know. We have to do more modeling. But he he asked, well, why are you failing in the projection? She didn't answer. She that. didn't answer. So if you failing in the projection, I'm assuming you're failing because the modeling is failing. So how are you going to be more prepared if you're not effective in the modeling now? I think this is above their pay grade, Richard. These things that's going on now is a direct response to what has been going on on this planet for maybe a couple of thousand years. These people have wreaked havoc on this planet. And the creation of the Almighty is totally rejecting them. That's my opinion. I might be wrong. And maybe some of these calls will prove me wrong. I don't know. And maybe they want to talk about something else. I don't know that either. But let's go to some of them. Let's go to 404. 404? 404, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, my brother. How you hear me? I hear you. Hey, you right on. You right on, Elliot. And another thing is, that's why them animals attacking their ass, man. Every time you look out, some animal done jumped on one of them European on, especially them alligators and them sharks, and they can't go walking through the woods without a, a bear or a cougar or tearing them limb for limb. So you absolutely right, man. Like the chickens don't come home to roost on no eggs. And uh, and to my man, what a name they call in a uh, James or uh, a uh, brother X or uh, Alabama used to be known as Alabama. But he's right on the money, man, especially with these doggone jabs, man. Okay? All the other stuff, when they come, but these jabs is the number one thing they want us to do. That's why it's the only thing I ever heard where they want black people at the front of the line. You know what I'm talking about? When the first jumped off, remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first thing, as soon as he jumped off, they want all the black people to get in the front of the line, man. So, like I say, man, whatever they say, and whatever they uh, go for, I do the opposite, man. That's because they done lied to me my whole life, my 63 years on this planet, all the way back to when I was in school, talking about some Christopher Columbus and some, uh, what his name, George Washington and all that. So whatever they say, I do the opposite, man. That's how you got to do, black people. But I ain't got too much to say tonight, man. Right on, you right on, really, with your projection. The most high is tearing them up. And see, we got to separate from them, man. All these Negroes that want to be with them, okay? When the thing happens, you right next to your master. They the master get taken out. They get taken out, man. So the best thing we can do is separate from around them, man. 
That's why when I'm around my people, I don't worry about no coronavirus, virus, all that. Because as long as my people ain't swirling like I told y'all, hey, that's where you get it from them. They the disease, man. They acid and we alkaline. Everything they touch, they tap, man. But anyway, I just let that food for thought. Let some of the other brothers and sisters talk, man. I love you, man. I'm going to be quiet and listen to the family, man. I love y'all. Yeah, well, listen, I, all I'm going to say is this. When you're walking around, I don't care who you're around. You protect yourself. Wear a mask. Do, you know, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't be no fool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when uh, some of these black folks that took this thing, man. Because I noticed that if I'm around uh, uh, at work, and I, I hear a cat say he admitted that he done took that jab, bro. I start feeling kind of some kind of way. I start masking up for sure, man. I don't be around them too much because they shed and all that. They don't know they the virus. So you're right, man. I get around them faster than hurry, man. You're definitely right, man. Because the whole thing is the opposite. They saying the one, like us, the unvaccinated the one spread it. No, Dr. Lean Taylor and the other doctor, they the one spreading it, man. The one that took the shot, man. So this is a joke. Everything that you appeal on say, I do the opposite, man. That's how you got to do it, man. Just do the opposite. So the ones that took the shot, I'm staying around them, man. They ain't got to worry about me. I'm getting around them, but I appreciate it, man. You right, Richard? You right? Oh, yeah. Y'all still flooded up there, man? It done dried up? Well, some of the areas have receded. They still had that uh, okay, man. that concert out there on the parkway. They wanted to make sure that a lot of that water got from inside the city so they could uh, continue on what they wanted to do. I hear you, man. I'm keep telling y'all, y'all might well come on back down here, man. All y'all from Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, you might well come on back down here, man. Pack it up, Richard, for the next no star, man. <laughs> Pack it up, bro. You can put a star on you. You can start a museum down here. <laughs> Pack it up, man. I hear you. Later. All right, I'll holler at y'all, man. Peace. All right, take care, you. He said you can start a museum down there. <laughs> Pack it up. Uh, let's, hey. let's go to uh, two four two four zero in, in uh, Leonardsville, Maryland. Two four zero. I guess that'll be me. How's it going, gentlemen? Great. How you doing? What's your name, brother? Good. Nigel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, one of the brothers um, passed the number on to me and asked me to uh, pop in and see what you guys are up to. It's an interesting, um, interesting show you got here. Um, I'm happy to have gotten a chance to um, hear some of the brothers speak on various topics. But, um, yeah, there's a couple of things that I um, I wanted to discuss. Uh, the main and most important thing for everybody to understand, um, and almost no one is talking about this in relation to the um, the immune challenges that we are having now that we have had before and that we're going to continue to have. And that is glutathione. Glutathione is a molecule that everybody has. Um, by the time, you know, people reach the age of like 20, 21 years old, the glutathione starts to drop. And I'm talking largely about intra cellular glutathione, the kind of, gl of glutathione that the body is designed to make. So the only response that we're going to have to what's going on for those individuals who have gotten jabbed and those who have not is going to be your own 
immune system. And right at the head of that is going to be what your glutathione, your glutathione response is going to be to any kind of infection. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be diabetes, cancer, um, you know, the CV, any kind of virus. It doesn't matter what it is. Our bodies are absolutely freaking amazing. We just have to know how to get that to a place of balance. And the best way to do that is by raising your intracellular glutathione. Um, there is a product that's been on the market for quite some time that's called NAC or N-acetylcysteine. Um, a lot of the researchers are, are quietly using that in a lot of the studies that are coming out now. Um, there's been at least three or four studies in the last um, nine months or so. You know, um, some of these um, are just some papers that, you know, individuals, you know, have written, you know, as part of their investigation, basically um, are referring to glutathione basically as a Trojan horse. That is our only way out, guys. Now, so we're, we're seeing the doctors now uh, come out with these um, these antibody-dependent uh, uh, kinds of responses in dealing with this virus. While that works, you know, uh, for example, for somebody who's severely ill, you know, what is happening is that whatever they're doing is interfering with the way that the body is designed to respond. And it doesn't happen with everyone, you know, but for those individuals, you know, that we're seeing coming down with blood clots and heart palpitations and various kinds of problems, all those issues are, now mind you, individuals who can get those kinds of issues don't necessarily have to have gotten the job, but could have been exposed to COVID. And what I'm talking about now, um, part of that is called long haul COVID. And in individuals like, you know, who we are seeing in studies who've gotten the job, those individuals, you know, once coming in contact with a variant that um, their medicine is not designed for, some of them are dying or getting severely ill. And I got to tell you, you know, that really isn't all that different from what we've been seeing in the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years or so, you know, in animal models um, where, you know, ferrets and all kinds of other animals, you know, um, that had been inoculated have ended up dying once they came in contact with a wild variant of the same thing that were, the, you know, they were, were uh, you know, inoculated against. So, you know, humans are larger, obviously, so the effect's going to be much slower. So I'm really not surprised in seeing the deaths and the major illnesses that's going on. Because once you consume something that is going to interfere with the body's, you know, own you know, innate immunity, um, it's really hard to tell, you know, um, what's going to happen to that person. 
And what is happening, you know, is worse than what's considered cytokine storm. So cytokine storm basically is, is the response, you know, the overcompensation, if you will, of the body's immune system once you become exposed to a virus. And, um, you know, what we're seeing is that um, a lot of individuals, you know, who have been jabbed and the uh, spike protein is cleaving off and, and floating throughout the body, through the bloodstream and every place else. And, you know, um, our researchers are actually seeing, you know, spike protein in uh, testes of men and ovaries of women and you know, even getting all in the brain. And uh, what is interesting about that, and I'm going to bring it back to, to glutathione therapy, because right now, um, my group, we are doing a lot of research with regard to neurodegenerative diseases as it relates to glutathione. So we have the research, you know, we have the science with regard to what's, what's, what's essentially been happening with people even before COVID. But now that we're seeing this uh, viral thing going on and we are seeing, you know, the, these uh, um, synthetic uh, proteins and whatnot, you know, just floating through the body and going to the brain and all this kind of stuff, you know, we have a weapon against that. Or, or in fact, the body actually has a weapon against that. And we need to actually work towards strengthening that. And I mentioned earlier about the uh, NAC. Well, the uh, federal government basically has announced that they're going to be, be pulling it off the market. And um, Amazon has already pulled it or at least anything that is clearly marked as N-acetylcysteine. It, now, there are other derivatives up there, uh, but it's only a matter of time before those are gone, too. But I know that there's a number of um, private individuals that are um, selling it. I would suggest that folks get a hold of as much of that as they possibly can before it disappears completely. Because what's happening is, as you know, Sloan Kettering and all these other groups, you know, once they're finished with their 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 studies, you know, um, you know, and the various trials that they're doing right now that involves glutathione, you're going to see a hard push to to take a lot of the natural modalities off the market. I but you know, I would say though that um, NAC is not exactly natural. You know, it's a synthetic um, system. And um, there is a natural version. In fact, there's several sources uh, where you can get the natural cysteine, but the problem with consuming cysteine by itself is that it, it doesn't really um, survive the trip from the mouth, you know, and ultimately through the stomach and then, then to the cells. You would need to have a form of cysteine that's already been bounded with, with other proteins that would allow it to make that trip and ultimately get it into the bloodstream. So um, saying that uh, brings me to this point, you know, uh, you guys were talking earlier about, um, you know, coming together. And, you know, the only way that that's really gonna happen based on what I can see is if we have something that everybody can coalesce around. And I have a solution, you know, I realize that you, know, you guys are probably running out of time. You know, there's others who would like to get on the call as well, but I would love to come back on and uh, talk about some solutions with regard to how, you know, we can come together 
and really work towards um, uplifting each other financially and ultimately, you know, using some of those same finances to actually help some of the less fortunate, you know, among us. And um, I started a uh, nonprofit actually that is centered around uh, helping some of those children down in uh, Flint, Michigan deal with the heavy metal poisoning. And um, that's kind of like what my focus going forward, you know, towards uh, um, 2022. That is largely what I'm going to be uh, thinking about as well as um, getting our people to coalesce around buying back um, our communities, you know, moving some of the other groups out and, um, you know, finding people within our communities that are willing to uh, take over these stores and we get to finance those projects and, you know, um, at, at some point see how we can give these people, you know, some ownership interest, you know, in these um, stores and whatnot, because I've found that once you empower our people with um, some degree of ownership interest and a certain level of responsibility, they'll begin to treat that thing as if it's their own as well. But, um, you know, the just to switch gears a little bit, um, there is a thought that I want to leave you guys with. You know, um, people talk about the creator, right? And I think that, you know, in the not too distant future, you know, we're going to be very, very surprised because they have a surprise for us. Um, I'm sure that some of you may have actually heard of um, Dr. Kizmikia Corbett, you know, the uh, doctor who was responsible, I guess, you know, for identifying and creating the spike protein. Well, you know, I'll, I'll have you know that um, that was actually created on a computer. You know, and, you know, I saw probably about 15 years ago uh, a gentleman, you know, who was working at Oxford, he gave himself a computer virus. But I never thought that I would ever see something in real life, like, you know, where you would have somebody make an admission that they created, you know, something on a computer that ultimately has gotten into a vial that, you know, eventually gets injected into human beings and causing all kinds of problems. But, you know, it looks like that's pretty much where we are as far as that goes. But the thought that I wanted to mention, you know, a lot of uh, believers talk about how humankind has free will. Well, if you have free will, then why do we even bother, you know, to pray to a God, the same God that has given us free will, you know? I that that's a that's a question that I've I, I've pondered for quite some time because a lot of times you know we want to talk about free will but then we're faced with conditions that we don't quite understand and we think that you know praying to the same God that that has been responsible for that free will where you get to choose whatever you want to do in life um, that somehow, you know, we are special enough that, you know, he or she is going to intervene because we have begged him or her to intervene. So um, I'm sure somebody can probably shed some light on that, but I've been pondering that for a while. And, and to me, in my mind, you know, there's a conflict between the two. Uh, brother, do me a favor. Um, uh, 
you might not have the email address. Uh, it's time for an awakening at gmail.com. Send me information and, uh, yeah, I'll try to, uh, myself, brother Richard, try to make some room for you to come on the program. Awesome. And also send, um, so when you do send me, you know, to that, um, email address, the, what do you call it? Glutosidamine? Oh yeah. It's, um, you know, think, think of glue and think of thigh. You know, if you're a man think, think of glue and a tie, so you glue the tie on. So it's glutathione. And by the way, I've got about, um, I've got about 40 years of clinical research on this. And, um, oh, just so you, so you guys know, I'm actually a, a um, holistic practitioner and I've been uh, working with a medical practice for a number of years. And, um, we um, actually focus on uh, lifestyle medicine, but my main focus actually is in uh, cancer patients. And I generally work with the ones that are um, end-stage cancers and the ones that the doctors say, oh, uh, we have done all we can for you, you know, and, um, you know, nobody needs to send you to hospice. You know, those are the cases that I generally like. And it's amazing um, once you start working with a client and can get that client to move towards bringing their bodies back into a sense of balance, like, you know, how, um, how those cancer cells actually begin to shut down. And that really is the goal. But um, I, I guess on another show, you know, I can talk to you guys about that. But, yeah. Yes, yeah, so um, that's time for it. Yeah, that's time for an awakening at gmail.com. For, for me, that information, we'll, uh, we'll t- uh, uh, pencil you in, and I'll get a hold of you and let you know uh, exactly when. And the information okay, sounds good. With that, that I'm sorry? And the information that you just enunciated on, um, send along with it would be helpful. Put your contact number in there, too. Got it. Thank you, brother. Okay, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Peace. Peace out. Richard, he mentioned that, uh, uh, that you know, that uh, boy, the glutathione, and I think he said NAC. But if you remember, Dr. Solomon and Professor Jefferson mentioned that also the last time they was on. Right. Yeah, so uh, I, listen, I'm glad the information is getting out here for our people to have other alternatives than this artificial, uh, this spike protein that's been injected into some of our people's bodies. This stuff is going to cause problems from what the experts have been saying. And I'm talking about the experts that we've had on this program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm thankful for the brother's call. Uh, we'll get the information and we'll try to set something up. I think it'll be a good discussion, Richard. Looking forward to it. Let's go to 202. 202? 202 in Washington, D.C. 202. Hey, how y'all doing? Great. So now. Yeah, you know, as I listen to uh, these dialogues... What's your name, brother? On, I'll put it down so I can... Um, oh, my name is Rick. Okay, right. Yeah. Um, I'm listening to the dialogues on these on the few talk radio stations that uh, we have nowadays, uh, it occurs to me often how of all the species on the planet Earth, and that includes the ones that we may not even know about. You know, there are some species that occasionally pop up and defy scientists and this and that. But of all the species on this planet Earth, we are the only ones, meaning the Homo sapiens sapiens, or humans as you would call them, 
we pay to live here. We have to pay. And there's a there's a uh, a bird's nest on my patio, and they don't pay rent or mortgage or insurance. They don't go to the grocery store. You know, I have a across the street from my my home they're deer and I never see them walking down with plastic bags but every so mating season I see they have offspring with them so they're definitely reproducing but one would think that we would look at what caused us to be in a condition where we have to pay other people to live on our planet and nothing else that lives here does you know, we, we have people who bring what I consider profound thoughts and topics. But this didn't just happen. This certainly wasn't the way the creator made it because nature shows you that a deer will walk along a path and take bites off of a plant and teach its offspring to do that. And they don't have to have a job or money or Social Security or pay income taxes. They don't have to go into the military. You know what I mean? And so we seem to think that we have some very high uh, stature on this planet. And sometimes I beg to differ. I mean, granted, we have potential. Are, are you all still there? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we, we have potential, you know, to do things, astounding things, as, as the man that God left as the vice gerund of this planet. But, man, this situation that we're in proves that we have got to be God in the flesh <laughs> or we wouldn't exist because there are – see, I'm a technologist by nature. Well, I won't say by nature, by trade. You know, it's just the things that interest me. And I have uh, been into technology for many, many years. And uh, uh, we live in a, 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 a an environment because it's not even a country. I mean, many people even think that the United States is a, is a country. It's a corporation. I mean, it's real simple. You can Google it and look it up. So if you know the difference between Walmart and the United States of America, then you know that we are nothing but a corporation. It's not a country. You don't have any civil rights. There's no Bill of Rights that applies to you. And even before it turned into the corporation, which was shortly after its inception, you know, they had Supreme Court cases that said that the sons and daughters of Africa have no rights that a white man is bound to respect. And that is the literal law of the land. There's, they can call any case ahead of it. There's nothing that supersedes that in, in our relationship to, uh, I should say, this land that's been captured by these people who are, are the true aliens. Decision. Are you speaking to the Dred Scott decision? Yeah, that's what Taney wrote in the Dred Scott decision, yes, sir. But that, I mean, that supersedes all the other law. And, and so when people talk about civil rights and all of that, I, I really realize I'm in, the, I'm, I'm in the wrong company. Because if they haven't recognized now, after all of the time, it doesn't take, you know, an immigrant can come over here from Lithuania and in two weeks become a citizen of the U.S. after they spend the appropriate time. They get their citizenship and they're white. They're citizens, but they call us who built this country without a doubt, who made this country even healthy enough to exist. And we actually have been traitors to our own self in doing that. When I say that, I mean black people because there were black people here. 
when white folks first came across the ocean, there were black tribes that met them. We're not, I mean, of course, we see among us, we have so many different beautiful array of, na- of, of the races of men that to call us black exclusively, it leaves out a whole portion of our family. But all of us now have to pay to live here, which is my essential point. We pay. <laughs> we got to go to the grocery so we don't have to because as time has evolved, like my great-grandfather uh, grew. He had 13 children, and he had a farm. It wasn't a big farm, but it was sufficient. But because he had land, he was able to feed 13 children with one wife and 13 children, and he grew sheep and he grew peanuts, and he grew corn, and he grew watermelons, and he had pigs, and whatever it took for him to be able to provide for his family by himself. As, and as his children grew up, of course, they began to help. Then they did it. But they, there was no all these, there was no uh, whatever the grocery piggly wiggly and these things, Bessie, uh, because people took care of themselves. They didn't depend on anyone. And that is the biggest difference between 100 years ago, black people, and now, black people, we are so dependent. If the grid goes down tonight, everybody's food will be spoiled in two weeks. They will have no alternative way to keep the things that they have purchased for their survival in you know, a condition that will help them survive. And this is this is one of my big things against, you know, I, I'm a student of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and he stated that of all subjects, History is most satisfying and most qualified to reward our research. So that tells me, I mean, I understand the perspective of history, what happened in the past. But I'm also a person who knows that we don't have any idea what's going to be happening six months from now in the future. And that's where it gets depressing because to have all these historical scholars tell us what happened uh, is not nearly as important to knowing that my grandchildren are going to be able to live in a world where they can breathe clean air and drink clean water and choose uh, a fruitful mate to reproduce themselves with. We don't study those things. Um, literally, they're trying to get people to put vaccines in them that aren't approved, uh, that prove that they produce or generate some sort of magnetism in our bodies right after taking the vaccine. <laughs> and people are still debating whether it's good or not to take it. And, you know, they talk about things like the Tuskegee Institute. Black, white folks have always experimented on us, always have. Every, every, if they used to cut us, cut limbs from us back in the days when we were captured as slaves to try to show the, the, uh, the tolerance of pain. They would literally cut our limbs off. They would stick devices in our women to see what their reproductive channels, how much pain and stress they could take. And if they died, they bring in another one. So I'm saying that that part of the slate should be full of documentation or evidence, if you will, as to how much concern they have for us as people. Now, if we don't generate the will as human beings to protect ourselves, at whatever cost, even our death, that's a noble death. The people who we call Indians, they used to say it was a noble death to die. You know, we're afraid to die. We do everything we can to keep from dying. When it's inevitable, brothers, every one of us 
are going to die. So it would seem to be more efficient with our lives if we would choose a subject that deals with today and tomorrow. And I'm not speaking of you, brothers, because you're doing a wonderful job. Enlightening is exactly what we need. But I'm saying our people, there's got to be some cataclysmic event, I think, going to have to take place to make people realize just how dangerous these waters are. And I hope I'm wrong. I really, really do. But people are too comfortable relying on the very thing that they claim is oppressing them. White folks have never been our friend. Elijah Muhammad described them simply so that you wouldn't have to think about what he's saying. He called them the devil. Now, anybody with any conscience knows that there's two forces. There's the God force and the devil force. So there's really nothing in between that. So if a person thinks that they're going to get white folks to do right, one day, magically, then I'll say more power to them. But I deal with white folks like a bank deals with me when I go to a bank. They don't look at my, they don't look at my possibilities and my potential. I go in there and say I made twenty thousand dollars this year, and I was bankrupt for the last three, for seven of the last three years. But I got a great idea, and next year, starting next year, I think I'm going to make two hundred million dollars. They're going to deny my application, not on my potential, not on my, 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 my uh, faith in myself or my, my self-confidence. They're going to look at my record, and they're going to escort me out the door. And so as long as we continue to look at these people as though they're somehow going to magically change, then we might as well also decide that thought, dig a grave, and be ready to dive in it face first, because we will have affected our own doom. We've had enough teachers to come before us, from Marcus Garvey, from Noble Ali, from W.B. Dubois, from uh, uh, Martin Delaney, they all told us, get away from these people. They said, get away from them. That doesn't take long. I've been been married and divorced twice, but I know how long it takes to get away from the person. And I've done that in my lifetime. (laughs) So don't take 200 years to get away from somebody if you want to really get away from them. Now, there are many things that we could do. People talk about, well, what are the children going to do? Well, send them to school. Where are they going to go to school? Put them in your, you teach them all, that's your job as a parent. You're supposed to teach them. Well, I got to quit my job. Well, quit your job. What's more important, you having a job or your children having a a life, a future? We don't make those hard, they're not really hard decisions, because if I bring a kid, a cat with four kittens that I don't know, and I go bother that cat and those kittens, she's going to try to scratch my eyes out. And knowing she can't beat me, but she'll die trying. And that's the human part that we have lost or are losing or in danger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it sound critical. I'm well, gonna, let, me uh, say, let me say this, brother, right before we uh, move on and, and get a few of these other ones on. Yeah. I agree with everything that you said. But let me add this. I think the solutions for, what we're, for our people and what we're dealing with is out here. The voices are out here. But I'm going to take some words from a caller that calls our program uh, from Memphis, the brother Marcus, when he says that circumstances is going to drive our people together. And whether it drives that 10% or 15% that's going to move the masses, however it happens, whether the circumstances mm-hmm. have to do it or whether our people do it willingly, uh, I just uh, applaud the act that is going to happen because it's, it's voices out there. It's people doing the work. Uh, that brother that was just on just prior to you 
talking about mm-hmm. things that he's been doing research for the past 40 years. It's solutions out mm-hmm. there for our people. Yeah. But we yeah, just, they are. We just got to move on it. That's all. I, I want to end with this, and I appreciate for you giving me this much time. I had no idea I'd be able to talk to you at length like this. I have nine children, my wife and I, well, my wives and I, my, my family. And we homeschool our children. I realized a long time ago that I'd be a hypocrite to send my children's precious, vulnerable minds to the open enemy to educate them. Now, I'm not a, a scholar by any means, but I can read and so we educated our children up to the 12th year for each of them. In the 12th grade, we sent them to school so they could get certification so they wouldn't be hindered by the system. And they all tested off the charts. So these are not things that you cannot do. They're things that all it takes is the will to do and have a, a, an agreeable partner, meaning a wife or a husband, if that's the situation, uh, who's willing to put the effort into teaching our children what we know they need to know instead of them being indoctrinated from things that we will have to cleanse them of and we may not be able to. So I'm going to let it go with that. I appreciate you brothers as well uh, for letting me have this much time to speak to you. Peace. Brother Rick, don't be a stranger. Thanks for your call. Richard, two interesting calls, man. Yes, yes. Um, um, needed thought. I, I uh, Yes, needed thought. Um, one I definitely I want to follow up on as far as, and I probably am butchering it, um, so I won't even say it. And uh, the brother that just called, um, I think he, it, what he was saying falls in line to me as he was, um, you know, in, um, informing us, speaking to us of, of each one of us um, operating from the perspective um, what uh, Professor Al Haron said, sovereign thinking. Mm-hmm. Think that that's and you know emphasize. Uh, I like to reemphasize out of this call. Let's go to six four seven in Toronto. Six four seven, Toronto. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say that Brother Richard's mic is on and off. He was on a few minutes ago. I'm, we can hear him, but he's he's very very weak. Oh, okay. It might be your volume, Richard. It ain't the mic, y'all. But okay, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, just turn turn it all the way. All right, now I had a couple of things I wanted to say. First of all, I was checking out the net, and there has been uh, another coup in Guinea-Conakry. Guinea-Conakry, that's, of course, the Secretary's country. That's what Kwame Ture, uh, I guess Kwame Ture joined the ancestors in uh, Conakry, Guinea. But uh, I wanted to say that today is the uh, birthday, or yesterday, pardon me, the September 4th was the birthday of uh, Richard Wright. And Julia Wright, his daughter, recently found a novel that was rejected in 1941, a novel uh, called uh, uh, The Man Who Lived Underground. And the book was rejected in 1941, so, and Julia Wright, who's still in the land of the living, has got it published. It's, it's published now. You can, I haven't seen it, but I understand it's supposed to be an outstanding book because it's, it was, although it was written in 1941, it deals with the whole question of police uh, bestiality, which uh, I guess uh, the police have all, well, the police no matter in what society, 
they're in capitalist society, the police's role, the police, the role of the police is to protect the uh, the uh, property owners. So uh, forty, I mean, you know, eighty years ago, Richard Richard Wright uh, did that book, and also there was a, a a song called King Joe about Joe Lewis, and it was uh, Richard Wright wrote the song, and it was Count Basie's orchestra, and Paul Robeson was you can see it on YouTube or not see it but you can hear it on YouTube Mr. Robeson sang the song and I think a uh, big Jimmy uh Mr. 5 by 5 Jimmy Russian was keeping Paul on the one you know keeping him uh <laughs> uh you know uh, Mr. Robeson wasn't he wasn't a funk man so uh, Jimmy uh Mr. 5 by 5 you know kept him kept him kept him on beat and um I basically just wanted to let, uh, you know, we should celebrate Richard Wright uh, because Richard Wright did this book called uh, uh, The Color Curtain about the Bandon Conference. And uh, I think that uh, the young people, our young people, should basically, uh, you know, pay tribute to uh, Richard Wright and also his daughter. Like I said, Julia is still in the land of the living. And she did and does a lot of work on, on behalf of Mumia Abu Jamal. She has uh, done, done a great job in terms of keeping his. Uh, she was one of the people that was responsible for getting the name, uh, the street named after Mumia in uh, in France. Uh, and with that, that's basically what I would like to say. And thank you for allowing me to to speak. Thank you for your call and your information. Um, if you get an opportunity, send us that contact for. Uh, for um, uh, Mr. Uh, for, for Julia? Yes. Yes, sir. We'll do that. All right. Thank you. All right. Yeah, I did like I did I did read that book, um, Elliot, and and I like. Oh, you talking about the book that he was talking about? Yeah. Um, it, it just came out. Um, maybe what four or five months ago. Okay. And uh. Yeah, it is a good. It is a, it is a good book. It's uh, and it is um um, relevant to this time, which is interesting in relationship to, um, the police. I was trying to find a short section to read out of it, but um, maybe that's for another time. Um, but it's yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, it up. Uh, did you hear him? He said he 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 uh has the book. You still with us? Oh well. Oh. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't talked to anyone that has. I've had, I've, he- I've had. Richard, had Richard said he read it. People. Beautiful, beautiful. But I've talked to people that have purchased the book, but I haven't read, talked to anybody who has, uh, you know, read it. So that's good. I know it's probably out. Well, Richard Wright was outstanding in terms of, uh, he was outstanding as a writer, and he was very, very outspoken. I mean, I know he didn't. He he does. He was not a told through the tulips kind of writer yeah it's a it's it's a, yeah and, and 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 like you said in um because he was at the um well not at the conference he was at the pan-african conference um con- yeah, yeah the pan-african conference um uh yes he's a interesting uh he's an interesting personality when we that we need to explore more as it relates to um that period right um of african liberation um 
Well, you know, he wrote the book. He wrote the book called Black Power in in ni- about 1953, 1954. I mean, he mm-hmm. talked about black. You know, they talk about Kwame Ture and Willie Ricks uh, talking about black power, but you know, uh, that's the press. And I'm I'm not saying anything about Mukasa or, or Kwame Ture. Kwame Kwame Ture, but uh, you know, Richard Wright wrote a book called Black Power before 1966. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, Thank you for your contribution. Yeah, Ellie, we need to um, find someone that that can be able to explore our own rights, um, life, and works, and and um, share and see what what things we can uh, um, learn in relationship to. Um, even that, it's interesting you mentioned about the um, coup in Guinea because um, they say there were some special forces. Um, one um, partial um, report I, I didn't actually see. I, I did uh, look at the article, but what was interesting that they were saying they were going to develop a new constitution to take it the people, the Guinea people in the diaspora to be able to help them in um, formal developing that constitution, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. He, uh, I think he hung up our call, but uh, we'll, we'll uh, I hope he uh, sends that information and that contact. Let's go to 602. 602. Yes. Greetings, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard, Brother Marcus here. No reason. I'm all right, good brothers. You know, you know, Candy, Candy, he, he get the reason he get put out the Guinea president is he's stupid. You see, <laughs> he went and raised his salary and then decrease the salary and the soldiers and the civil servant. You got to be a fool to do that. Because them people got guns. Okay? The first people you pay is the one with the gun. Okay? He, he ain't had enough sense. He's behind easy to be out of there. Because he ain't got no sense. Now, this thing here, you know, earlier I spoke about Tim Scott. That's one bipolar Negro. Because that Negro came out and said how many times the police stopped, stopped him. And he's a senator. But he come and say, oh, there's no... He, he's one of them colorblind Negroes that that, that, that uh, Dr. Amos was talking about. And, you know, Camilla, you know, she she married to uh, Kabibu. So, you know what I'm saying? She, she, she in bed with Kabibu. So what the hell? No, I do agree with that first call and that call and said, wherever black people make up the mass majority of the population, black people should control the economics and body politics of that community. Mm-hmm. That is sense. That is intelligence. Okay? That's why everybody operates like that, except you know who. So the brother is correct. We have to divide away to take economic and political control of our community because all these people they cut the money out of the community. And if it's ever gonna get anything, we got to have a floor. We got to have that economic floor. So that is, you know, that is a focus that we. 
So as if as, if, as you are saying it, <laughs> when all else feel, when all else feel to, to organize the people, conditions will. And it's gonna get worse. This is just the beginning. It's, well, so you don't know what six months gonna be done. It's gonna be worse. Because all these storms, they're tearing up the agricultural base. You know, the fires ripping up. You know, so soon we ain't going to have no food. We're going to have a problem with food. Looking down the road. See? So we, it is imperative for us to get our act together. To get some type of organization, you know. I myself, I don't found a little organization here in Memphis. Because... We got to get in an organization, even if it's church, even if it's a church, I don't get in an organization because little, little later down the road, it's going to get worse. It ain't going to get no better. We see what's happening. You see storms tearing up. The force of nature itself is against these people, as you said. You know, one wants a God, Allah, whosoever. Something is working against these people here. Because these people are evil to the core. If there is, if there is ever a devil, that's, that's the devil walking. If there is a devil, that's the devil incarnate and walking on the earth. But, as I said, I think our people, we're going to win this struggle. You see? He's a dying tiger. Well, He's only one of the world's population. But he's trying to take as many people with him on his journey to death. Anyway, keep on keeping on, good brothers. Me with me as here. I'm here. Thank you for your contribution. No problem, good brother. Again. Let's go to 215. 215. Good evening, Brother Elliot Richard. You know, I'm the you know, I'm a, I'm an old humble country boy, Elliot. And Richard from from Philadelphia. We say country boy from Philadelphia. I say I'm a humble. You know, that's a play on words, brother Elliot. <laughs> and I, I just I say that in jest, brother Elliot Richard, because it's a t- brother Marcus, our brother. Wait a minute, you're breaking up. Can you hear me a little better now, Elliot? Yes, go ahead. Okay, yeah, the brother and following brother Marcus, the brother from uh, Toronto, and the other brother that called in from the from the that was uh, a student at the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And the brother was talking about the um, the vaccine situation. I mean, it's a tough back to follow. I mean, these brothers was right on point. So I just, like I said, I'm a little humble boy from Philadelphia, Elliot, which I just try to get my piece in. But let me just say this, Elliot, before I talk about anything else. You know, Oscar De La Hoya, the boxer, I, I heard from a, a friend of the station today that he's he's been hospitalized uh, with the vaccine. He got fully vaccinated, and he got COVID and stuff. So there you go again, another case, Elliot. You know, just, just some food for thought. And um, when you was talking to Brother Richard earlier in the show about the brother, about you think the will of the creator, if you remember Brother Elliot and Richard, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, has said for years, watch the weather. He said, he said, he said, the creator is going to use this weather to deal with these 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 bigots out here, you know, these Europeans that have oppressed our people over the years and oppressing darker people around the world. So he said, watch the weather. He minister been saying that for me. You see, it's coming to fruition as we speak now. Because like when you played that clip from Face the Nation earlier, like you said, the the, 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 the Caucasian lady and the gentleman, they was clu- they was totally clueless. 
on what they were saying. They didn't, they didn't have no answer for that. See, they, but matter of fact, I, I did say this, Elliot. They was almost tempted to say it was something man's hands, but they couldn't bring themselves to say Notice the LA, how they was talking. They wanted to even say it was something supernatural about it, but they couldn't, of course, they couldn't bring themselves to say that, you know. But uh, they see clearly, Elliot, that this is something that's bigger than what, you know, than what's being said, you know. So, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this, 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 they continue as, as I employ you in the, in the time from Wicked List, or it's continue to watch the weather as we move forward, you know, not just in America, but around the world, and to watch the weather because cause even some of our people in these darker nations may get punished too for their treachery towards our people and traitors. So, I mean, just, just watch the weather. That's all I can say moving forward. Watch the weather in America and, and, and abroad. Just continue to watch that. But, you know, before I talk about Brother. Uh, when Brother Richard, you remember Brother Richard earlier in the show, you mentioned about the HB, I think, Bill, you was talking about, about the reparations, I think it was. I'm not know about the critical race theory, about the, the white legislator. But I'm going to tie that in, in a second. But I must say this, Elliot and Richard, about, the, uh, I don't know if you and Richard have heard, but again, a friend, of, a, a good friend of mine had told me, that remember he called the show last week, young brother, about he talked to, when y'all had Dr. Burton on the other week. He had called up for uh, some, some some good points to Dr. Burton. Well, once again, Brother Ellen Richard, I want you and Richard to hear me well on this, as well as the time from which and listen to us, they listen around the country and around the world. Once again, these white folks that call themselves Jews, now I'm going to say it clearly, these white folks that call themselves Jews, once again, show how they have pumped black people out. I don't know if you and Richard have heard about the situation. You know, Allen Iverson, Elliot, they used to play for the Sixers. Yeah. And Damon Dash. The, uh, the rapper and stuff, rapper, producer. Well, when the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, you know, he had spoke via satellite at DMX, from the, the rapper DMX who made transition a few months ago. The, the, the minister had a very close relationship, just like the minister had with our sister, dearly departed sister, Aretha Franklin. Well, the minister spoke via satellite at the brother's uh, 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 home-going service. He said some kind words and gave worse a comfort to DMX's children, his family, and his children's mother, and, you know, all his extended family. Well, Allen Iverson and Damon Dash, they both praised Minister Farrakhan for speaking. No sooner, and heard me well, Brother Ellen Richard, no sooner than, the, than they spoke and praised the minister, the white Zionist Jews came out and attacked both of them. These two spineless Negroes, guess what they did, Ellen Richard? They apologized. Can you believe it? They apologized. They apologized for, for any comments they felt was offensive to Jewish people. And I'm saying to myself, am I missing something here? What the hell you got? Damn it! What the hell do you got to apologize for? You are you you are you are, you are, you are so-called citizen of this country. No, I use the word so-called in quotes. You have your so-called First Amendment rights. Of course, that don't apply to black people allegedly and stuff. So you you didn't say anything derogatory against the, this, these white Jews. You didn't call them any kind of name. All you said that you praised Minister Farrakhan for his kind words to the family. What the hell is you apologizing for? And see, it all goes back to the Nick Cannon thing of, of Brother Elliot and stuff. How much more money Allen Iverson made millions of dollars playing pro basketball? Uh, Damon Dash 
him and um, the, the the guy who who, who tight with Jay Z and all them. He done made millions of dollars in the rap industry. How much damn money do you have to make before you stand up and be a goddamn man in this country, or in some cases a woman? You got some of these sisters that capitulate to these white Jews too. So my point to you and Richard is, how much damn money do you have to make before you stand up and be a damn man? How long are you gonna let these so-called Zionist Jews punk you out and take your man, your black manhood and your black womanhood away from you? And they only Elliot and Richard, they only come at our necks like this. They don't say that the, when, when that crazy white woman Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from Georgia, she has said all kinds of stuff about these people, and they don't say a damn thing. She, the only thing they say is, well, she shouldn't say things like that. The criticism is very mute and stuff like that. They, they don't call on other white leaders that, that denounce her and, and, accept, and sit her down like they do it when they come to Minister Furkan or anybody else that say anything. They call, they, like they did with Minister Rodney, Minister Furkan, uh, uh, Sean Jackson. They call on other Negroes to denounce them. They, they didn't do that to Marjorie Taylor Greene. They don't do that to no white politician or white figure who criticized them. But, 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 but I mean, it got it get to the point where, where a brother can't even say that, praise the minister for speaking at somebody's funeral. I mean, this is a bit much. But see, I'll, I'll say this in close before I deal with Richard's uh, uh, comments on critical race. This stuff is going to continue to happen, Ellie and Richard, until we as a people, on a collective, stand up. Because they, a, a man, like Dr. King said, man can only ride your back if you bend over. As long as we keep capitulating, this is going to happen. And I'm going to tell you why I put a lot of blame, Ellie, and, and I don't care if people like it or not. The reason why these so-called white Jews do what they do to our people and punk us out and take our manhood and woman away because of these black ministers and 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 and, and, that, and that segment from the black civil rights era. They these Negroes have put this false narrative out there that these white Jews was our ally and friends. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. They have not been our friends. They have did every damn thing they can to work against our people. You can go back to the Baki decision where the Jewish community came out when this white Jewish boy didn't get, get a, didn't go to that medical school because he felt that some unqualified black person was there that shouldn't have been there. And I'm saying to myself, you didn't mean to tell me you didn't think no unqualified white person maybe kept you out of getting into that medical school, but they always go after our so-called white Jewish allies. They only go after black people, man. And I just get tired of this. Every time, every time a black man or woman say something, here they come at our neck. I'm, I'm getting, I'm just getting tired of the bullshit, Elliot. I can just get sick of it, man. You know, and I just want to get that off my chest, okay, Elliot? Well, uh, listen. Uh, in in relation to that, now I didn't hear uh, about Iverson and uh, another guy apologizing. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Mm-hmm. It got by me. Yeah, but, yeah they, they, had, they both had, they both apologized. Yeah, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. For what? Well, For what? Look, it, now, let me say ahead, something com- in comparison to that. See, because yes, sir, they monitor everything that black people do, where they go, what they say. And if you say something off color, they on it like white on rice. Now, I don't necessarily see anything wrong with that. But we don't do that. Mm-hmm. And when I say we don't do that, a perfect example uh, and, I, and I'll juxtapose it with, with, a, with another example. A perfect example of what happened last week. Mm-hmm. Now, Biden gets up there when they talked about the FEMA response in New Orleans, and he calls Richmond a boy. Mm-hmm. Cedric Richmond. Now, mm-hmm. I didn't hear black lawmakers say anything in reference to this uh, uh, potential old-timers patient uh, calling this man a boy. I didn't hear any lawmakers, no CBC. I didn't hear black media. They didn't even talk about it like it didn't exist. 
right. Now, if you said something derogatory about somebody, like you, and it and it's not even derogatory, they're praising somebody who they have respect for, and these people didn't like the statement. They didn't. He didn't. They didn't say anything from what you said in reference to Jews. Exactly. So what I'm exactly. but I'm just using that as an example. This man calls this man a boy, mm-hmm. and nothing said. Mm-hmm. He didn't even right. say nothing. He didn't even say nothing. Of course. So he, what? He, what does he, that say? What does that say? You know that clip I play, where Mister mm-hmm. Farrakhan says about these lawmakers, and he said at the end of it, he says, "You make the white man downtown disrespect all of us." And, and it's the truth, Elliot. No matter how you, whether you like Minister Farrakhan or not, he's telling the honest to God truth. They do make the white man disrespect all of us. And again, like I said, Elliot, they only come after our people. And, I, and I'll say this last point on that before I move on to Brother Rich's point about the critical race thing. Well, look at the brother, you know, the movie uh, um, Judas and the Black Messiah about the story of the life and times of our dead departed ancestor, uh, Fred Hampton. Again, same thing. The brother that played the role of of, of the traitor in in in, in, in O'Neill, the traitor in the story. He was like he was on a chat with members. He was on a chat when he was a neutral listener, not taking a side one way or another. He was listening to members of the Nation of Islam research team. They was debating some white Jewish rabbis about black Jewish relations. Yeah, he didn't even say anything. He was just listening. Right. He was just, and all he, and the only comment he made, he said, I'm glad they dialogue. He said, because this, he said, dialogue is how you can clear up any kind of misunderstandings. That's all the brother said. No sooner than this brother said to Elliot, the white Jews came at his neck. They tried to call him a Farrakhan supporter. They, they was trying to destroy this brother. They were trying to make it to where he couldn't even make another movie and make another doll in Hollywood. And I'm saying this bullshit has got to stop, man. Only thing say that brother, a white movie producer who I think of a Jewish descent mate, if I remember correctly, he came to his defense and they kind of backed off the brother. But they was going at his neck. I mean, I mean, I just get tired of this. And they only do this to black people, man. Like I said, that old crazy Marjorie Teller Green said that it was white Jews that took down Donald Trump in the deep state. It was white Jews that's, that, that got a vaccine out there that, that, that's like compared to Nazi Germany. She said, I said, all kind of wild, and, and they don't say a damn thing about this white woman. But some somebody black say something, here they come. Here they come. I just get tired of the nonsense. But let me move on in a little time uh, on, on Brother Richard. When Brother Richard was talking about that H, was that House Bill 1532, I think Brother Richard said, well, you know, and I agree with you, Elliot, right off, just just, just, just for, for, for disclosure, I agree with you. With all respect to our ancestor, Derek Bell, may Allah be pleased with our brother in Grand on Paradise. I, I, I think he definitely softened up for white folks, because sometimes, like, like, like Minister Furrican said, he said some of our people feel the need, and, and some of them mean well, they well mean it, but they feel the need to, to soften it up for, for white folks and stuff, whether it be playing some of Dr. King's earlier speeches as compared to the more radicalized Dr. King near the end of his life. They, they feel compelled to play the I have a dream, as opposed to the to the speech about America being the most violent nation on earth and calling for an economic boycott of white businesses. And I think you know some of our people do that begin to soften things up for white folks. And that's why I agree with you, brother. It should be always it's moving this day forward. It should be called critical race facts. Cause this ain't no damn theory. This is a fact. What these people have done still doing and going to do in the future, like the brother from the Nation of Islam said earlier, who was a student, like he said, if we're waiting for white people to, to magically change and stuff, we, 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 we are, we're a damn fool because it's never going to happen. We can plead, we can beg, we can pray, we can pray in, pray out. These, this is this, the nature of these people. They're never going to change. They're going to be just, if I'm on this earth 50 years from now, white folks,
folks are gonna still be the same, and I'm and I and I and I'm got enough damn sense to realize that. So I'm not out here trying to pray that they change their heart. All I want is to create to deal with them and, and stuff and get them out of our way and stuff, so we can do what we have to do. Because I know they're not gonna change. Oh, you may have some individuals here and there, but they, but but the mass of them is not going to change. And we and we have to sit have enough damn sense to know that by now. But let me say this on that critical race thing. You know, to show you how insane white folks are, that's why I had to chuckle when Brother Richard brought that up because about and and, and how they go crazy about reparations because on a, on a, on a conservative talk station, Elliot and Richard and stuff, it was this white boy, old white guy who was a St. Joe's St. Joe's alumni, right? He was upset. He was talking to the white commentator because I listened to it this morning, and he was upset because a white professor at, at St. Joe's University. Got fired recently. His name is, I think his name is Professor Greg Mankel. He's a math instructor. He had just got fired because what this coward did, Ellen Richard, in the time from Wigan Listen Audience, he put a, a thing out on Facebook or Twitter, and he was such a coward. He wouldn't use his real name. He was like a byline. He used the name South Jersey Bob, some old name he used. And what he said, because he was, he, was he was against reparations, so this, he gave this stupid, convoluted analogy to justify his racism. This is what he said, Ellen Richard. He says, well, you know, I heard a lot of uh, black people talking about some that white folks owe them reparations. He said, I don't agree with that at all. He said, that's like saying, because my great great grand, this is what he said, Ellen. He said, and Richard, that's like saying my great great grandfather, because he murdered hundreds of black people, then some black person will come to my door here in 2021 and say, uh, Mr. Hilly, because they don't. Uh, 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 Mr. Manko, you have to pay 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 us money because of what your great great grandfather did back in eighteen whatever. And I'm saying to myself, that sounds so stupid and stuff. And, and, so, and, and so the university got because he tried to hide in the assumed name, but one of the students did did some research and, 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 and you know you got so many people they they compute a genius they can figure you know, all these crypto codes and, and find out even if you use the assumed name can track it back to you and he was able to track it back to this professor and so the university fired him because of it and so this this white boy who's a, a alumni who had gave hundreds of dollars and thousands of dollars to the university As a matter of fact at the at the at the at the at his death he had already planned on giving the university several thousand dollars upon his death and he, he was on his conservative radio station saying him and a group of uh, St. Joe's alumni is not going to give another dime to the alumni association to this racist professor is reinstated and I'm saying to myself it just shows the insanity that you, you would use a stupid analogy like that but this is this is what you this is where we're at now and like brother Richard was saying earlier these people I don't understand how they can get upset like Richard said about some something being taught it never was taught Critical race, this so-called critical it's never been taught in schools because I, I, I'm my brother called to the, and I close with these last comments, Ellen Richard, so Brother Jail, or someone else could get on. I remember on a terrestrial radio station just the other week, a brother called, called the, 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 the so-called genius that come on in the morning. He told him, he said, brother, I'm a 60-something-year-old, I think the brother was in his late, middle to late 60s. He says, all through, when I went to school in the 50s and everything like that, he said, just like most black Children, he said. I, he said I was taught that Thomas Jefferson was a founding father, and he was a noble man. I was taught that George Washington never told a lie. I was taught that Christopher Columbus discovered America, even though the natives were was already here and blacks, Indians was already here. He said, but he said he said, he said, he said it wasn't until I got out of high school and, and after I even after I left college, and 
and just you know start you know listening to Black Talk Radio and picking up books by black authors like Chancellor Williams and and John Henry Clark and all these other people that I learned the true history of these people. He said because he said all during school nobody talk, never told me that, that that Thomas Jefferson was a rapist and a pedophile that he was impregnating this young black girl. He said I never heard that Christopher Columbus was massacring natives and stuff like that. He said I, he, none of that was ever taught to me. He said he said I didn't learn that until I started again picking up books by black authors. So like you say. This stuff about they 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 they, they teach this to they to kids from K to twelve is never was taught. See what these white folks is doing? They they throwing a, a, a salvo out. They don't want their children as well as black children. The, the bottom line is they don't want black children, no other children, know the true history of these people. They want to keep putting this, pushing this false narrative that George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Christopher Columbus, King Leopold, all these racist murdering thugs was good people when nothing could be further from the truth. That's what the whole thing is. They want to continue to push this false narrative. These people was good people when they was evil people, like the brothers said prior to me. If, yet, if, any, race, if any race of people fit the description of the devil reincarnated, it's these people. I know. I remember what our late brother, Brother Rob, said to me one time, and I closed with this brother, Ellen Richard. He said, Brother Joe, you know, as a student of our life, Muhammad, we was always taught, you know, that the white man is the devil. He said, people, some of our people have a, a issue with that, even some of the black Christians and even some brothers that call themselves Muslims. He said, all I can say to that is this. He says, you know, they like to believe that it's a devil underneath that ground. And Brother Rob told me one time, he said, Brother Yusuf, all I can tell you about that is this. He said, if it is the devil underneath that ground, he better stay the hell where he at. He said, because he ain't seen a devil until he must be that white man. He may, he may, he may have his pitchfork and his and his horns like they said that mythical devil you see on TV. He said, but if he is the devil, he better stay the hell where he at. Because he come up here, come up underneath that ground and deal with this white man. He gonna deal with a real devil. He gonna find out what a real devil is like, and that ain't no lie, Elliot. He gonna feel really find out what a devil is like. Cause there ain't nothing like this white man, brother. You you, you talking about dealing with with evil and hell? You deal with him, brother. You you you'll find out for sure what hell is like. So I just close with that note, okay, brother Alan Richard, put me on mute, and I'll listen to the rest of the show. Thank you for your contribution. Yes, sir. Richard. Yes, yes. Coming down the home stretch. Let's go to six four six six four six. Hey, what's happening, um, brother Richard and Elliot? Elliot, you could thank me later for two four zero. All right. Okay, go ahead. Uh-huh. You understand what I'm saying, right? Okay. All right. Um, just just real quick, man. Um, critical race theory, absolutely a waste of time, man. I mean, I don't I don't understand why these big roads are so much up in arms when the reality is most of them just want to get close to the white folks anyway. It's not like they use the information, the knowledge, and the wisdom to really move forward in blackness, you know? It's not like these institutions are, in all honesty, producing black people to serve black people. I mean, most of them are producing black people to serve white folks, you know? So, I mean, until we get to the point where we understand that clearly, then we're just going to be in the same situation looking for how to appease the oppressor and to keep them off our backs. I mean, it's quite obvious with what's going on with the jazz. I mean, it, it, it's at the point now, honestly, 
with the jab, if you had this show on um, YouTube, you would have been shut down already. I mean, you got you got situations in play where people are now having to make the choice to stay on their job or leave their job because they don't want to take the jab. I mean, now the information that you don't present it so far in regards to the jab, I think one person would have to be a fool to take the jab because, you know, there's a narrative that, like I said, Friday night is constantly being played that alternative things are harmful. But nobody's talking about the fact is that years from now, based on when you took the jab, you won't be able to sue nobody if you want to get sick and the dots want to be able to come into play. Because you and I both know that Pfizer's been sued numerous times for the faultiness within their product. Am I right or wrong? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we pointed out uh, several cases on the program. With okay. Fi- yeah, that Pfizer so, has been sued, yes. Right. So what do so what do that tell you? Now the thing that most people don't realize is the way the media works and the manipulation and the games that they play and the things that they tell crazy folks is that the vaccination that they're taking is improved. That's a lie. That's a total lie. The vaccination that has been approved will not be produced, if I'm not mistaken, for another five months. So this vaccination that they're jabbing everybody with is nothing but an experiment, in a sense. So nobody knows if this is the same vaccination that will be in place five months. And it's quite obvious that there has to be a booster in regards to these to these vaccines. So that right there should absolutely tell you something. Then on top of that, people that you done had on have talked about there's going to be some side effects within the next couple of months in regards to you taking the, the, the jab. But, you know, if you notice, ain't nobody concerned about that because what are they concerned about? Not dying. But it's like I try to tell people all the time. You can't cheat death. When the creator marks your stamp for when you're going to die, you're going to die. Ain't no vaccine going to stop that. Ain't nothing going to stop that. Don't let nobody fool you into thinking that here it is, this jab is going to save you. You know, when in reality, it seems to me that they can't even be honest to report the amount of people who have died from the jab and the amount of people that are having effects from taking the jab. But here it is, like the brother that called you earlier this evening, and when you get him back on, he'll tell you that there's alternatives to taking the jab and that there's certain things that you can do to protect yourself from the jab. So whereby somebody like myself what do I do when I go out? I put on a double mask now because I know it's picking up and I try to get in and out wherever I'm going. I'm a fortunate one. I don't have to be at the beck and call of the daddy. Thank God, as one would say. 
But the reality is I know somebody like yourself and Richard who has to be around the public. All I ask is, and I hope that y'all protect yourself. Because oh, I, yeah, know, I know y'all not going to take the jab. Hopefully y'all won't take the jab. I don't know. I don't know about Richard because I know Richard's situation where he work at. That may be one of those places that may require him, you know, but that'll be a decision that he'll make as a man. You know what I mean? And thank God he has a little more information than the rest. But it seems to me that the hit jobs that people in the media, like I said Friday, are doing is egregious. I mean, it's really, it's really annoying to me to no bitter end how you have people who will badmouth ivermectin, but will never tell you the truth about ivermectin and how ivermectin should be um, put into place. And and the brother that spoke to you earlier will be able to define that. So is ivermectin this enemy that they make it out to be? No, I don't think it is. It's given in the proper protocol. But unfortunately, we we don't understand that as a community. You know, we too busy listening to people who may have a paid agenda. It's just like you and I both know that if you go to a place that has an HMO, the bottom line is the doctors in the HMO are told that they must push certain products, and in the process, they get a bonus. Everybody knows that. So whereby if a doctor in the HMO or in certain institutions is pushing something, anybody who has the smittens of intelligence should question it. But unfortunately, we don't do that. You know, my, my, my thing is this. I just pray that a year or so from now, that the people who took the jab don't start having issues and then they skirt the issues because from what I'm hearing is the cancer rates are going to increase within the next year or so because of this um, jab. Now, nobody's going to want to address that, and it ain't going to be a damn thing that you can do about it, and there ain't going to be no... um class action lawsuit or anything like it because of the simple fact they're going to squash that because what have they done that they haven't done to the other products that have had lawsuits against them? They didn't make it mandatory. This is something that, that they're making mandatory, which I don't understand. I mean, they could get away with it if they don't make it mandatory, but then again, it seems like they don't care. They're just going to make it mandatory. Now, now, do you think I'm off base or not? Well, no, I don't think you're off base because, I mean, we see what they're doing. You, I mean, we see that more and more they're trying to make it, they're trying to make it mandatory. Yeah. I mean, now, now, now to, to make the product that is not even FDA approved mandatory, for what reason, I don't know. I don't know if you noticed tonight in Tallahassee, Florida, they had close to 90,000 people unmasked, unvaccinated, and all of that enjoying the, the football. So, I mean, what what's going to happen? I don't know. I ain't in Florida. I wouldn't go to Florida 
if they paid me all the money in the world to go to Florida because I don't want to be I don't want to be exposed to that madness. That should be the right of every American citizen to not have to take a jab that there's questions in regards to the jab so that you could participate. Now, if you don't want to take the jab and then you place yourself in situations that will make you vulnerable, who fault is that? That's not that's that's not nobody else's fault but your own. So if you're gonna be that naive, then hey, it is it is what it is. But nobody's making these type of arguments. Everybody's making the argument, oh, submit and take the jab. Nah, I don't think so. Because Lord knows there's too many people that they're not reporting that's being injured by the jab and that after taking the jab is dying and and they won't indirectly say well, it was caused by taking the jab. So I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't know what direction we as a community are gonna go in. I don't know what's gonna happen because this thing is the way I see it is gonna escalate over the next couple of months because you know what's so crazy to me. They don't even talk about the flu season no more. And another thing, if you notice, there was no talk last year when all of this was going on about the flu. So now are we trying to say that the flu is no more an issue? Or are we saying that if a person gets the flu, they're going to classify it as COVID now? Is that is that the new medical protocol? Yeah, well, so, I, think, I mean, huh? I think one of the reasons why the flu was down last year is because uh, number one, people was locked down, and number two, uh, when they went out, they had a mask mandate, and they was they kept uh, mentioning about sanitizing things. People washed their hands. I mean, that's how you stop a lot of spread, anyway. But a lot right. of folks wasn't doing that, and a lot of other folks wasn't doing that, also. I, I mean, if you work with a lot of different folks. You see the folks who don't wash their hands, go in the bathroom. Next thing you know, you see them walking out the door. Uh, you ain't hear no water running. Yeah. Beside when they flush the toilet, I mean, you you see all you see you see the jump. Then they go out there and put their hand in a hoagie tray and all that other stuff. Uh, come on, man. <laughs> and then yeah, you wonder I mean, what. One, one of the craziest things that I heard and I had to really think about it and agree with it was when somebody said pumping the gas. It never dawns on you how dangerous pumping the gas is. And my boy was telling me that when he got the COVID, the reason he got the COVID was because his um, cousin got the COVID from the gas station. So, I mean, you know, it's like, hey, I try not to pump gas at all. Luckily, you could, you could go to Jersey or something like that. Or or and let them pump the gas. You know what I mean? Well, or just keep, gotta just keep pump some gas. Keep a bottle of hand I sanitizer. Just, you wipe your wipe, wipe your uh, hands. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. I make sure afterwards I I really sanitize my hand. Or and matter of fact, I use a glove. But um, you know, normally I ain't trying to pump no gas. But lastly, I just wanna I just wanna say this: we as a community 
have to figure out, in all honesty, how are we going to push back on this narrative that's moving forward in regards to to this vaccination and the way that they're basically shutting down people who have inner, any counter-argument to how it should be dealt with with this virus. I, 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 I just don't understand why don't the American people don't have a right to deal alternatives and as one would say holistically with how they go about dealing with this with this virus. Why is it strictly all about about the jab? Because it seems to me that the money is about to start rolling in because of this jab. Because now you're gonna have medical treatment and all of that change the game. Now you're gonna have insurance change the game and, and, and all of those things. You know what I mean? Also, cities can't close down like they did they did last year. I mean, they're fighting right now in New York City about the rent moratoriums from the tenants and the landlords. You know, one one is going after the other, man. And, I, and I'm like, whoa. But you know what's upsetting me the most is I can't even get people to come together to even consider and think about buying some of these properties that are about to become available. But hey, man, you know I'm a I'm about to go into retirement mode anyway, so I don't I, I'm concerned about it. But I'm like, come on, man, this is an absolute opportunity and a time for us to collectively, you know, try to try to do something, try to you know fight back against gentrification and and, and whatever. You know what I mean? Because the thing that they're not telling you is that most of these states gonna have to start working on their budgets come February and March and the way that the revenues are in these major cities, it's about to get real, real funky. You know what I mean? For 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 the constituencies in this city. And the last the last thing is this. Keep an eye out on what's going on in California with this governor recall with this clown Larry Elder. I got a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky feeling. He's gonna, he's gonna be, he's gonna become the new governor of California, and all hell gonna break loose. And mind you, we ain't even talking about what they doing in Texas, because it's already three states. They talking about implementing the same madness. So that's another thing that let's see white women stand up and protect their interests. Because like I tell everybody, the Democrats ain't going to do nothing to save nobody. Because they in agreement with everything that they doing because they got to do two things. They got to protect power and they got to protect whiteness. And the sad thing is, black folks don't understand nothing really about power or how whiteness really works. So they're under the pressure that the great savior, you know, Joe Biden is gonna come and save the day for their black behind. But I know, and you know better, that uh, they're never gonna get rid of the filibuster. They're never gonna give black folks 
the voting rights that they think they truly deserve, and uh, business can go on as usual. And uh, listen, y'all have a beautiful week. Be safe. And uh, let's start thinking about these things because ain't nobody going to save us but ourselves. Peace, brother. Put me on hold to the end of this great show, as always. Thanks for your call. All right, take care. Richard, go ahead. It's just one thing that um, Brother MJ brought up that I think um, when he was talking about um, the media and providing um, this type of information at time for awakening, the perspective, you know, um, because now if we're seeing, as, and I've heard this in a couple of different places, how they're um, shutting down Facebook, shutting down um, people, and I, I take it as other um, digital platforms that um, disseminate people are um, putting up content that they're shutting them down. That means that we need to be thinking now of how do we protect, I'm talking about protecting something, um, outlets like Time for Awakening Media, like Black Talk Radio, um, you know, um, because this becomes the only mediums that are is pushing this information. And once they can make sure everybody fall in line on over there, what makes us think they ain't coming over here? So if we're really going to be um, prepared, seeing what's happening and how they're managing, trying to manage what can be said, then we need to be preparing to protect the communication systems that we say we need to get the information. I just think that that's important to reemphasize. <laughs> I agree. You mentioned it before about that, what's that, 94 communication? Is that 94? I think uh, it was 96, Telecommunications Act. Yeah. So um, it just seems that, you know, looking at the looking at these things coming up, um, and knowing that um, Time for Awakening Media, you know, um, and, and Time for Awakening um, program and Black Talk Radio is, is presenting this, then we should be preparing to protect it if we think it's a valuable asset, not just us having a space to be able to say, but an asset that we need to protect um, just because... I don't know, Elliot, I may be wrong and may be paranoid, but I, um, this is definitely what history tells me. Um, if we're going to use history as any, um, to provide any kind of lesson, what these fools will do when they see the tool that you need to organize is organizing people, but not with the information that they want them to be organized around. Yeah. After it. Yeah, you can, you can, I mean, that's historic. When you, when I say historical, that's the narrative that they are from the first times that we were over here and was communicating with the, with the drum and they outlawed drums in a lot of Southern states. You remember Richard? I mean, say that again. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, finish your thought. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying that's why it's important for it to be, you know, to emphasize to us now it's coming. Mm -hmm. So let's be prepared and prepare to, and protect the asset um, that that helps us uh, continue this underground railroad. 
listen, before we, in fact, let, let me get, because I, I didn't do it at the, the top of the hour. I'm going to just run these commercials and then come back and end the program. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. And 
know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us? Or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America. We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. a message to the black man because the black man today is a man who has been made now almost into a laughing stock nobody takes the black man serious we're just used to be somebody's tool we are the sportsmen we're the singers and the dancers and we're also labeled as the pimps and the criminals and the drug dealers, and the killers, and the vagabonds of society. We're the bogeymen of British society and other Western systems. And we want to dispel that lie and destroy those myths and put the black man back on the map where we belong. Who is the black man? The black man is the original man. If it wasn't for the black man, no other men could be on this planet. We are the fathers of humanity. We gave birth to all of you. Be careful of who we bow down to. 
But see, when you get in your congregation and you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand, then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of us. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Uh, great, uh, good program today. I like the uh, interaction always with the uh, listeners when we go to open forum, and it's, and it's always good. Um, before we leave this evening, just want to give the lineup for Time for an Awakening Media, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting topics and dialogues on African Perspectives. That's with the uh, host, Brother Oshi. Mondays, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on, Monday evening from 8 to 9, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Mawia Kamban and Dr. Kamal Kamban. It's Black Therapy Central from 8 to 9, later Monday evenings. And on the first and third Monday of every month, Conversation Reparations. That's from 9 to 10. That's in Cobra's program, Conversation Reparations, from 9 to 10, Monday evenings on Time for an Awakening Media. On Tuesday, 8 to 10 p.m., Black Reality Think Tank with Dr. William Rogers. That's Tuesdays, 8 to 10 p.m. On Wednesday is our time, the Black Farmers Program, the West Georgia Cooperative. That's on Wednesdays from uh, 8 to 9. Fridays, Time for an Awakening is back from 8 until. And then Saturday evening from 7 to 9, the elders of Sankofa with Brother Alfonso Watkins. And then Sunday evening, Time for an Awakening is back from 7 until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, or you're watching your children playing after school.
right now they seem to play such a small part of the things that they'll soon be right at the heart of my little Tommy he said he wants to be a fireman Children. To save the children. 